Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan, a Marvel podcast where we try to figure out just who and what is going on in this cinematic multiverse. My name is Tyler Borland, and with me always is Danny Vincent. That's right, I'm Danny Vincent, and this week we're discussing the abrupt end to Phase 4. But first, we have a sad announcement. Well, I don't know if it's, it's an announcement. I think people might assume it has been coming for a bit, considering our activity recently yeah. and what we've been putting up. And you might be wondering, wait, wait, hold on a second, Danny. I'm a Marvel fan, and I listen to this podcast, or I vaguely keep up with Marvel news. Didn't they just say that Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the end of Phase 4? And, I was, and my answer would be, yes, and it was very abrupt they made that announcement because it was really like, a, well, I guess we reached the end type of thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the reason we, ha- we mentioned the abrupt end is because this will be the final episode of Why Is with Ty and Dan. Never say never. We know, who knows? Maybe we'll see Guardians 3 and Tyler will be like, yo, Dan, you want to record like a one-off episode? Who knows? We're not promising anything. But for now, this will be the end, my friends. You never know if Venom Venom 5 comes out. And, we should uh, return we only for Venom it. movies. <laughs> return only for Venom movies. <laughs> this is a Venom cast. Uh, and technically, you know, Morbius, we don't know if he exists in the Venom universe because he hasn't met Venom yet. So we're, we're safe. Still. That's true. Uh, we will no, only cover Spider-Man if he ends up in a bar with Tom Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but yeah, we uh, we're, we're wrapping it up because we're both getting kind of busy with our lives. Uh, and we'll give our final goodbyes later because there's no real reason to it now. Because you know what? We promised you guys. We promised you. Miss Marvel discussion. Thor Love and Thunder discussion and a green room. And we're going to give them all to you right in this episode, which I expect, even though we will try to keep it at a reasonable time because we both want to go to bed at a reasonable time. I have a gut feeling this episode is going to probably be long, even if we try to time it. So yeah, <laughs> that is my, my warning ahead to Tyler. So please like, like and then to the listeners that, if, well, I mean, I guess I don't need to learn warn listeners. They're going to see the runtime when this pops up in their feed, but you know, you know how it'd be. So Tyler, should we just go straight in? So, oh, oh, to be yeah. clear, we got we got to clarify one thing. Um, since we'll be covering two full Marvel things this episode, and one uh, in a green room, we will be only doing our general thoughts, the thoughts that we uh, our general thoughts, the thoughts on the score and post credits because we always talk about those. That's so always something on our notes, and then our Wise Awards. Now, if the Wise Awards open up a tangent to a bigger topic about the show. You will chase that tangent somewhat, but we are not going to necessarily go like, you know, talk for like, for example, three hours on, oh, what's Russell Crowe's best movie, Danny? If we talk about <laughs> Russell Crowe, Thor, Love and Thunder, you know, we're not, we're not going to go down that route, but yeah. So Tyler, what, what are we going to talk about thir- first? Uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about Miss Marvel. Um, for me, this was a fun show and a fun time. Um, it's not my cup of tea as I thought the show had one major point of controversy that should have been been refilmed, no questions asked. Um, still, though, great leading actress with a great supporting team. Uh, lesser on the villain side, though, weak writing for the Department of Damage Control, um, and that's kind of felt like a, oh, hey, we need we need some big bad. Hey, we, we've got these guys running around, so let's throw them in. But yeah, that pretty much wraps up my general thoughts on uh, Miss Marvel. Um, some in- some really cool, interesting stuff uh, introduced with 
with this show. Oh, what about you? I will. I will. This is a show that I thought when I was watching it. And I, I watched it a few weeks ago. Obviously, we were recording this pretty long after I finished it. But I remember watching the first. This is a show I kind of wish, like if it came out like a half year ago, we had done the first half and the second half. But I think there's a very different show in the first half of the show and the second half of the show. Yeah. After the first three episodes of the show, I texted one of my friends, Matt, and I was just like, you know, if it sticks the landing at like it's been doing these three episodes. This will be my favorite Marvel thing, period, since Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It does not stick that landing. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is I think the first three episodes, I think the lo- I, we're probably going to argue about this later, but I think the last episode is good enough to redeem what the two episodes are before. It. And I actually don't think the Pakistan trip that Kamala goes on that feels like a side quest, I don't think that's entirely bad. I think it's a risky thing that actually pays off pretty well emotionally. But it's one of those things where the show was doing so well. And it kind of is a bummer to me that we went off on that track. And my other thing I want to say about the show before we get to more like talk. I felt like this is the first, especially the first three episodes. This is the first Marvel show that actually felt like it embraced television. And how I always complained in the past with Moon Knight. Specifically, because that's the most reason I can remember that Moon Knight really only cared about the Moon Knight. He, he only cared about that character. Uh, cared somewhat about his girlfriend and or well, wife, but really it was the Oscar Isaac show, and no other character. There was no supporting cast. The strongest yeah. asset of Miss Marvel is that it has a supporting cast that has all their own stuff in life going on on the side, and it never feels like we're really cutting away to a side plot because the show is still pretty much entirely from Kamala Khan's perspective, outside of a couple choice scenes here and there. But it still feels like Bruno has his whole life going on. Uh, Nakia has her whole life going on. And Kamala is just a part of a big tapestry of life. And I really, that's the best asset the show has going for it. Which is why I like the last episode again, because it gets us back to that ensemble nature. Yeah. Even if it feels a little weird, because we have to catch back up, because we've been two episodes away from them. But those are my general thoughts. I do think this is a really great show, and I'm so excited to see where Miss Marvel has to go. It's just a show that was great. Could have been a show that was like the best thing Marvel has done since. Yeah. For Ragnarok for me, honestly, because that's really where this was starting to me. It was going to go best since for Ragnarok. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's really when I say fun show, fun time. That's really like right there at the be at the beginning of the show. It's so much uh, like just vibrancy and color with. Everything with you know the uh the graphic the uh graphic animation that they throw in there, yeah, and the animation and and uh it's it really felt like a uh just it felt like we were in the head of uh Kamala and that that was that was cool rather than we're just sitting back and just watching events take place, you know it it really felt yeah uh. To me, the highlight, high point of the show is it's an it's weird because I've seen online, you know, uh, I've seen online thoughts on the show. Most people say the first two episodes are great, then it falls mm-hmm. apart somewhat afterwards. I think, uh, well, you know what, you know what, I'll say what I'm about to say. I'll say what I'm about to say because I know I can bring it up later on in our notes. All right, so we got to talk about our two Dingian things. The first thing is the score. Uh, I have more thoughts on the score of Miss Marvel than I do on the score of Thor Love and Thunder. I will say that. What are your yeah. thoughts on the score here? 
my my thoughts on the score are that uh and they they started uh they as in Marvel Studios um it was it it was noticeable in Moon Knight um that they started to use music that was relevant to the area of the world um where influence was most seen and uh and I think that plays a big part in uh in the in this show as well. Um it's not a bit like a big memorable score. You know, it's it's not Natalie Holt's uh Loki theme, but uh it it's still it was playful. It you know it was it fit it did it fit the show. It didn't stand out to where it was uh bigger than than what the show was. But then again it it wasn't necessarily anything that I'm humming, you know, day to day. See, I actually thought the, uh, oh, and to be clear, I think this is because I don't know about you, but I always let the show play to the end credits all the way through until like Disney plus puts up their language credits. Cause that's, what I'm like, all right, so there's nothing after, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like no matter what, I always leave it playing. And I thought that the central theme they have for Miss Marvel is actually really good. I can't hum it now. But if we recorded this a week after I watched it, I would be like, oh, yeah, I 100% know it. Um, and I feel like that's true for a lot of like Doctor Strange, right? Like when I was like, we saw Doctor Strange Multiverse Madness, I'm like, I immediately caught the theme. But I don't think I would if I hadn't just rewatched Doctor Strange. Well, I know the yeah. Doctor Strange theme is played in No Way Home. And I can't catch it because when I saw No Way Home, I hadn't just rewatched it. And that's how I feel about Miss Marvel's theme. Uh, I thought it was good. It's very, I, it reminded me of the Ant-Man theme kind of where it's like, again, I can't really, actually, I can't hum the Ant-Man theme it's like do 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 it's yeah no actually i can't but it's kind of like the anime thing where in the moment i really like it uh and yeah. i'm really excited because this composer is coming back for the marvels so we'll actually get miss marvel's theme back presumably she's the one who did the score for what if which i thought was probably one of the best parts of that show was how yeah. it utilized the mcu themes and actually like had them uh, go against each other yeah yeah those are always cool uh you can find like uh fan edits on YouTube where people have taken uh especially of the Avengers assembling in New York during the Battle of New York um and they play like with each Avenger you know arriving yeah on scene they play their theme or a relevant theme uh for that Avenger because I know for Iron Man they play the Iron Man 3 theme um for him for his entrance but uh but yeah that's that's really cool uh, going forward um one We're note on going forward is that i think i like i'm excited to see well this gets into post credits so oh wait really wait can i say one more i want to say one yeah. more thing about responding to what you just said about the scores those are good but you know what's been great is the edits i've seen of no way home that actually utilize the Elfman, Horner, and Zimmer scores to actually be in the movie other than just like a very brief quote. Because what drives yeah. me insane about No Way Home is we get that scene of them on the uh, on the rooftop talking about like with great power comes great responsibility. And they don't play the Raimi theme under like Toby talking about it. And that mm. scene in edit where they have that. And then the next scene, I don't know if you remember, I remember the exact shot weirdly enough, is that like it's like they do like a drone shot towards the school, like like very quick and you get the 
and they edit like you know how like the spider-man movies used to always up with yeah. that slow build i was like yes yep. that's what should have been in the movie proper anyway like <laughs> like it gets me mad that it's not there gichino i hate you this won't be the only time this episode i've talked about how much i hate you <laughs> but what are you gonna say about the post credits because i'm well i'm ready to talk about the post credits yeah um, so uh post credits um you talked about, you know, the composer for Miss Marvel coming back for the Marvels. Um, and I'm interested in seeing, like, talking about translation between Miss Marvel and the Marvels. I'm interested in seeing what uh, Iman Vellani and Brie Larson, what their chemistry is going to be, you know, in, in the Marvels. Um, and, and then, of course... <laughs> what I'm what? excited with that is... Uh... Not them. This is, I mean, yes, I, that will be a big chunk of the movie. But the post credits, as is, shows her wake up with her mom. Like Kamala's gone, but now Carol's in her house, and her mom's calling downstairs. I can't wait to see Carol interact with her parents. <laughs> that is what I am excited for: is to see Carol interact with mom That's and dad, Mister Mrs. Khan. I hope so for the models. Was- yeah. <laughs> She'll be like, <laughs> I can just see their mom being like, and who are you? <laughs> like, you yes. know, like, very, like <laughs> yes, yes. Um, the parents in the show, I, I think we'll talk about them a bit later, but the oh, parents definitely. in this show are so good. <laughs> they, they are like, I think I said, said to Felicia or I texted you. I don't remember one of the two. Um, I had said that the parent, I said, these are my favorite MCU parents. Of of like the whole of the whole MCU, I don't the, I don't know I if there's like, really any competition. I was but. gonna say, I guess Aunt May kind of counts as like a surrogate parent, and I mean, I guess Tony I guess Yondu, Yondu, we can we can we can out Yondu. Yondu's that's a good true. One. Yon, and Yondu's Pim. a good one. Hank Pym's yeah. the only one I can think of. Only ever big one. Um. Oh, and of course Tony's dad. <laughs> of course yeah. Howard Stark. Yeah, Howard that Stark. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Who's rank the parents though? <laughs> Rank the parents. Hashtag um, rank the parents. That just what I wanted to say, sound good. What I wanted to say more about the post credit scene is more the the one with the Marvels, which is that sorry, is that I feel like if this was the first Marvel show, that mutant reveal would be the mid credit scene and the Marvel scene would have been the post credit scene. Like how WandaVision has two. Since yeah, then I think yeah. we've only had one each time. Because to me, we get that beautiful scene with her father in episode, at the end of episode six, where they give her her, her name. And it's like the one time I've ever seen that trope executed really well. Because I always think of in the Fantastic Four 2015 movie where they go like, it's fantastic. And they go, say that again. And it just yeah. cuts to Fantastic Four. But in this, it's uh. like, it feels so heartfelt and like genuine. It made me almost cry. Almost trope. We get that beautiful scene. Then we get the scene of her recreating like the famous comic pose of her on top of the thing while the Captain Marvel, not sorry, the Miss Marvel the theme blares. Light. Yeah, on top of the yeah. street, light, sorry. Well, the yeah. Miss Marvel theme blares for the first time really all the way through. That should cut the credits and then we go to the scene with them revealing that she's a mutant after the first part of the credits. Yeah. Which is why I'm down to talk about the mutant stuff now because I think it is a it should be a mid-credits scene. 100% should be a mid-credits scene. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that I wouldn't mind like I think your mid credit scene now doing this with television, um, television streaming air quotes, 
Um, I think that you also like give us the cinematic experience now air quotes on this too cinematic experience but you know give us that with these with these shows as well um i will say i think this show just to briefly mention because i don't think we're gonna mention any other time later i think this show has notably better visual effects than pretty much anything else marvel has done on tv and that's yeah, mostly because none of the maybe yeah. mostly because none of these actors are probably expensive <laughs> like <laughs> like that's the true. most famous actor in this is the head of damage control who is in Spider-Man No Way Home. And that's because he's on Succession. Literally, because, like, I love uh, Zenobia Shroff, but she's really only been in the big short. No, sorry, when I said mm-hmm. the big sick. And that was five years ago. So, like, I feel like that helped them out a lot. And helping yeah. them get their get their money's worth on these visual effects. Because I thought, it like, obviously, I'm, I don't buy power constructs as real. But, like, they look as good as I expect them to look, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. What do you, oh, so, we didn't talk about the mutant stuff, though, really. We, I just like, let's no, talk about the mutant stuff. And then we, <laughs> yeah, the mutant stuff. Um, I think this is, a, this is an interesting way to bring them, uh, them in. Uh, I'm still not necessarily ready to be like, oh, yeah. Th- like, she is a mutant. I don't know. I, I just don't want her to be an X-Men. She should be her own thing still. She yeah, she she definitely should. I don't know if this means that they're going to just kind of brush aside in humans um for a while because in the comics, you know, well, Kamala is a is an inhuman. The cre- the creator of Miss Marvel, Annie Monvolani, have said that the original plan was actually always to make and I trust more there. Love you, Iman. You you were fantastic in this show. Really great performance, but I, I'm going to talk about more of the creator of Miss Marvel now. Is that at the time she wanted Miss Marvel and Kamala Khan to be a mutant, but that was around 2014 or so, where you know that was when they're like, let's push the Inhumans instead. You know, yeah. so I'm okay with her being a mutant. I think it's cool that she and Namor are going to be the first mutants in the MCU because, come on, that's really cool. Like, yeah, it is. It is, like, and I and I do think like this is. Is, this is a strong character and strong actor to be your first uh, mutant um, in the MCU. Um, I'm hoping that we get more of an explanation than there's just something different about your DNA, you know. But uh, of course, I also understand they're they're kids, you know. So I you know, well, it will get kinda, it will happen. We'll get yeah, around to it. Yeah, we'll you know? we'll get it. We'll get the full. Uh, the full uh, big scientific explanation from Professor X or whatever. Or, but, pro- or let's be real, probably Wong will just walk in and be like, so here's how it works. So, <laughs> Wong will give us the exposition, probably. <laughs> 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 Wong's like, everyone who has snapped back is now a mutant. I, mean, I remember people thought that would be a way to bring in the Inhumans, especially with Miss Marvel announced so soon yeah. to be after Endgame. I was like, yeah, sure, like, whatever. But, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Let's uh, move it. So, yeah, let's go into our uh, Why is Awards. All right. So, these are our Why is Awards. Um, these are the awards we want to give to it. We will also probably, again, we welcome a tangent into a larger discussion here because we did a shortened talk. So, first up is MVP. My choice is Iman Balani. She's fantastic in this show. She mm-hmm. is literally, having read the Kamala Khan comics, 
she like the first trade let's be real i don't read a lot of comics but she is perfect absolutely perfect as kamala khan she i think this is a show where if i had to pick an actual mvp it's just the whole ensemble because again we're not we don't have them listed but like nikia her, her friend is perfect the guy who plays the uh i don't know why i'm forgetting the name is it rabbi priest what do you call a person who's the head of the mosque i don't remember what you call him just father i don't know no but, father is uh catholicism priest is sure. catholicism rabbi is judaism um i'm just googling it quick i'm okay with being embarrassed the imam the imam so, yes i thought he's great he's not even in it a lot but he really makes an impression when he's in it but ultimately it's imam valani's show constantly she has she feels i remember reading someone say she's the most perfectly cast person in the since rdj and i'm like i don't know if i can go that far but certainly when you watch interviews of her in real life, she just seems like Kamala Khan already. So I get that comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's someone who I can't wait to see in these movies for like, hopefully like decades to come. Cause I, she, yeah. she really loves the role. She really loves Kamala Khan. She really loves just everything. Like she loves Marvel and she is so genuine and she nails everything here. Like no notes. Someone was like, no notes. You are perfect in this role. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's uh, yeah, it's just how much she loves she loves Marvel and loves comics. It's really cool to see, uh, that and to see someone who's who obviously puts in the work to bring an accurate representation of that comic book character, um, to the big you know to the big screen to the big screen to uh, the silver screen, yeah, to the cinematic universe. What what I was going to say also about her very briefly is unlike, I mean, okay. I really love Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi was a great movie. I loved Florence Pugh and Black Widow. I liked Eternals decently enough, but no one since the Guardians, I feel like, has been, no, actually, no. Since T'Challa, since T'Challa. I forget Black Panther. Well, yeah, yeah, I forget Black Panther. So since T'Challa. I don't think I've ever seen since um, a character I was so excited to see interact with the bigger universe. I want to see Miss Marvel talk to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, obviously Captain Marvel, but like she will freak out over every single Avenger. Like, we need her in it. we need her and Paul Rudd in a scene together. Let's be real. Like, we need those two to oh meet. My goodness. We need Scott Lang and Kamala Khan to meet because they are both. Total nerds who are fans of the Avengers who randomly get to join them. <laughs> and let's uh, be real, like uh, probably Kamal and Cassie would hit it off. I feel like they'd be good friends. So yeah, yeah, I I am interested in uh, in seeing how uh, Miss Marvel interact with the Young Avengers. Um, I think we've got a really cool Young Avengers team. Uh, depending how young up. they go, I think she should lead them. Depending how young they go. Yeah, yeah, like. Like if Florence Pugh and uh, Kate Bishop don't count for it, yeah, I just say Florence Pugh. Sorry, Elena. Elena, you just Florence Pugh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, but who's your MVP? I just okay. I've been so my over my line. MVP is uh, Zenobia Shroff. Uh, she plays Kamala's mother, <laughs> and she she just I I love the like the I don't know. Aunt, it seems in the MCU that Aunt May. Uh, tries to be a smothering presence for Peter, 
it just doesn't come off as genuine necessarily uh, because she obviously lets him like, oh, Tony Stark just came in and, you know, just took him off to an airport, whatever. Let, let's but, be like, real also. Let's be real also. The issue with Aunt May has just also been she literally never gets any screen time. Like, that's true. No, that one is, knows the that first time true. they actually try to make her into a character. Really. That is true. Very good point. Um, but yeah, Zenobia Shroff is just like, you can just, I don't know, like you said with uh, Valani, there's there's no notes. And she, you can just tell that her character totally cares about about Kamala. And it's not, the parent isn't used as a plot device to uh, further along, like, just to create conflict and further along um, the hero, you know, getting her powers or whatever. Um, There's a it's, scene. It's, uh, I, would, I would say that her performance is comparable to, uh, <laughs> that's a big Ben, um, Uncle Ben from Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Yeah. Yes. I would say, like, Obviously, both very different paths, but but yeah, I would say there's you know there's just genuine acting there, and it's I, it's. Great. I would posit that it's hard to compare. I feel like she, I think she is clearly the better of the two, but I think the dad is so good too. The actor play. I should look up yeah. who plays the dad. Yeah. But the dad is so good in this too that it's like I can't just credit her because I feel like. This show, like, I think the first episode's good. Like, it's a very good first episode, but the moment it becomes good to great is when, uh, hold on, I'm looking up the dad's name just so I actually say it on the podcast because I feel bad that I have, we haven't, we just like, oh yeah, the dad. Uh, Mohan Kapoor, excellent on the show. There's the scene where she asks the night before, can I go to AvengerCon? And they're like, no, you can't. But then they come and go like, all right, you can go, but we made you this outfit. You have to go for your dad. And she just says no. And it's like, and other shows, like, you know, it'd just be a joke that, oh, dad wanted to go if you make it. But this is, like, it severely, like, hurts them that their daughter said no, which is a realistic response. It is a, it sounds weird to say this always, especially, I have a thing that I always think about, and I, I promise I won't go long on this, but there's something I always say when I see movies like The Farewell, when I see a movie like Turning Red, and when I see something like this, where it's, like, it's very culturally specific. But in that cultural specificity, you find this universal truth. And I feel like every one of us have had that moment growing up where we tell our parents, no, we don't want you doing with them. And we see it actually hurt our parents that we don't want to do it with them. Yeah. And I, that scene captures it perfectly. Because it, it's just, it really is just her parents are trying to relate to her on some level, but they also don't want to let her, let her go. And it's so hard to nail that scene from both perspectives because you can easily make it so biased towards Kamala, like, oh my god, my parents are so embarrassing, or so biased to the parents and be like, wow, she really is terrible but it's like, no, they're both completely right to have the response they have there and it's heartbreaking and she is is just as heartbroken by it as her parents that she didn't mean to react the way she did. It's it's what makes that pilot such a good episode is that scene. There's other stuff too, but that is the peak of the pilot. And it's on all three of them, especially the mom, though, because I do think the yeah. core of the emotional arc does go on Zenobia Shroff. I didn't mean to hijack that completely, but I know we're not going to talk about the pilot again, and I really want to shout out that scene, because that scene is would be my favorite scene in the show if we did favorite scene. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of favorite scene or episode, uh, 
what is your favorite episode? All right, I almost talked about this earlier. I'm just going to talk about episode three. Uh, a lot of people said that the first episode was great, then it fell off a cliff once we introduced the villains. I posit that the villains were fine. The, okay. The clandestine were fine until we were revealed, actually, they might destroy the world. In which case, I was like, okay, this is too big for this type of story. But, you know, yeah. like, ancient people with magic superpowers? Sure, why not? Like, she's got to train against, like, yeah, we could just do a street-level show, but I'm okay with her facing some superpowered people. Whatever. Like, I'm not too mad about that. But the moment that stands out to me is the second half of episode three, where we get, I think episode three might be also the one where she gets the advice from the uh, Iman of the mosque about like, you can save one. Per- no, that's in the episode before. Cause the episode before she saves the kid, I think. So, mm-hmm. but whatever. Um, but we get the dance sequence where I realized while watching, like I've never imagined even what I'm, and this is very much like, Oh, Danny, you're a white guy. But I've never imagined what a wedding inside a mosque would be. So it's like, this is something I've literally never seen, like this culture, like how they do a wedding. And we get the big dance sequence where Bruno's, I, it cracks me up. Bruno's just like invite him because he's such a close family friend. It's like, that's amazing. And it's like this very elaborate dance sequence that's edited perfectly. And then once it's done, we get what is probably the best actual fight scene of the show, which is her fighting the other people in the kitchen. And it's really well choreographed. It's the first time she's really using her powers to fight like people with superpowers. And unlike episode, very specifically episode four and five, where I think the action is very shaky, you can always follow the action in that scene. Mm, yeah. So it, get, yeah. it got me what I wanted out of a superhero show and what I wanted out of like Kamal Khan. And also that episode has like Nakia running for board member and getting to be the board member. And it's like, it's got so much stuff going on in that episode where I was like, as I said, after the episode, I was like, this might be my favorite Marvel thing since Spider-Verse. Uh, so episode three is my favorite. That's gotcha. the peak. It's the peak of the show. Yeah. Okay. Uh, mine is episode five. Uh, I I really like, this is the one where Kamala goes, is taken back in time by the bangle, which, side note, there are like 15 to 18 different ways to say bangle. And it, I've where I've realized that it is now it's just saying the word is uh it's like you know how some people don't like the word moist. I, <laughs> I do not like the word bangle. I and me saying it, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I but anyways, that's just a side note. I just if, I just if this wasn't that, our last episode, I'd demand we need this episode something with the word moist in the title. So <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, so it, yeah, so my favorite episode was episode five, uh, where she goes back in time. I, I think that with like the gravity that this episode tried to have for me, it was a lot of fun, but I think for this, the type of gravity, like for this show to get any bigger than the neighborhood that they live in, for it to get any bigger than that. Um, because, you know, like, like you had said earlier, like all of a sudden they realize, oh, well, the clandestine want to destroy the whole world. Um, and then it's like, this is way too big. I think if they're going to, if they would go up a step that doing this stuff of going back to the past would be the way to do it. And I, I think if they were to, they were going to go anywhere, episodes four and five should have been back back to the past and she you know figures it out 
Um, but then obviously, you know, you're going to need a, you're going to need a, you know, a lot more. I, obviously that plot line would have to be developed. I mean, what I, I think I've, I read the take by someone like a couple television writers. Cause you know, a lot of te- television people, uh, not me. I know I, I'm not a TV person, but I do read some TV writers and a lot of them responses to the show. Well, okay. First in general, their responses to Marvel shows are pretty much always negative with the exception of WandaVision, which became negative towards the end. Because most television people who write about television for a living don't like the trend of like mini series that are basically just overly long movies, which I get. Like it's very much like respect the medium that you're coming in to do. Um, but I remember a lot of people were pointing out that it's like it's a shame that this is literally like being rushed to get this done before the Marvels comes out. Because in a good world, Miss Marvel should have come out, say, season one, cover everything in Jersey City with damage control. Season two. We can. Who cares if you rip off your own movie? Go on a trip to Pakistan with everyone. Like take Nakia, take Bruno, take everyone with you there, and then delve into this backstory and this past with the supporting cast mm. being there too. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, like sure, like 100. percent Like I wouldn't mind her going to Pat. I I can't. It's also the one of those things where it's like I get that everyone in like this is a rare, a very rare opportunity, you know, to showcase this culture and this history about partition that I had no idea about. I feel like a lot of people. It's kind of like when the Watchmen show came out and the Tulsa race uh, massacre is at the beginning of the show. And no one really knew about that in our generation until it was in the show yeah. <laughs> because it's yeah. just not taught in school. And so like this partition thing, I like, I get it. I get that you want to have this be a big part of the show because this is a very like good platform to educate people like me on this. I had no idea this atrocity happened but i think that it also marvel could have just committed to a two-season show <laughs> like like they have they can afford it yeah and like you know they always knew they wanted to make miss marvel as a show they could have even tried to get it ready for um disney plus launch and it would have been good you know yeah but what i was gonna say about uh episode five in a agreement with you is that i definitely think this is the most i don't know if risky is the right word but it's the most yeah, a little go of risky. It's the biggest swing the show takes to dedicate half of its second to last episode to a love story doing partition with a immortal person as one of the like you know like it's a big swing. Yeah, and yeah. I think it mostly pulls it off. I think emotionally, the end of the episode works for me surprisingly a ton, and I didn't think it would. A lot of it's Iman Vellani's acting. A lot of it is mm-hmm. there's this three generations of women coming together. I wish the grandma had come back with them for the finale because it definitely felt like they're like, oh yeah, grandma might go move in with us now, you know? But like, I think episode five has some issues personally for me. I think the show in general has a problem where the mom kind of switches too quick. I think Zenobia Shop does well with it, but I think the writing switches her too quickly from no, Kamala, you can't. You have to go out with your cousins literally the episode before. And then, like, next is like, here's a superhero suit. <laughs> like, go yeah. be a superhero. And that's, yeah. it's because it's rushed. It's because it's rushed. Yeah, like, I think we exactly. could have done season one in Jersey City. Parents don't know her identity. Go to Pakistan the next season. And that's when the parents and family find out, you know? Yep. But I do like, I like the, the uh, risky nature of it. But what I don't like is a transition to the worst episode. Which to me is the episode before this, which is episode four. I uh, I don't even remember what happened. This is in this is four. the this is the other one when they're in Pakistan, and it's a neat travel log. I'll admit, 
But the reason it's an issue is something I kind of alluded to. I actually don't need to talk about it a lot because I actually I'm more excited to talk to you about your take on your worst episode because I very disagree with it. And I want to I want to pick your brain on why it's your worst episode. But I kind of mentioned this already is that the first three episodes do such a good job building a great supporting cast for Kamala. And then episode four just ditches them all except Kamala. And that's really the issue with it. Gotcha. To set up the red daggers, which are kind of boring. I know one of the actors is like Bollywood royalty, royalty, which is kind of cool they got him for a one-off. Because he's the older one. He's like very big in Bollywood. Yeah. But it's also like, okay. <laughs> like, you know, like I wish we could have we could have cut back to Jersey City for a bit. Especially because in the final episode, it's like we're back with Nakia and we haven't talked to her at all in two episodes. And we have all this business to take care of and we could have cut back to Jersey city a bit, you know, got some yeah. stuff done there. And I'm saying Jersey city as in Bruno, Nakia and her family. I'm not talking about the damage control scene that's in that episode. I also think the, the, the action is really bad in episode four. The action is really rough. That's the one with the truck scene and it's like not shot well. But anyway, what, what's I'm your least still, favorite episode? still drawing blanks on that, but uh, my, it's fair. It's a very forgettable episode. <laughs> My worst scene is episode six, and that's for one reason. Um, and that is that the climax of the show happens with uh, it's set at a school, and it's it's a ton of, and they, you know, they had a, a warning at the beginning of the episode for this. To me, the warning was not necessary because. Disney, you've got the money, and there is no excuse that you should have went forward with airing this. Uh, you should have rewritten. It could have taken place in a mall, and then okay. in one of your throwaway, sorry, go on, go on. You have a good point to make. In one of your throwaway scenes, in one of your throwaway scenes from the prior episodes, you could have had them like a significant something happen in the mall. Uh, you know, uh, like. Co- uh, Kamala saves someone or whatever. I have to imagine um, reshoots for this movie show was tough because of Iman shooting the marbles. Um, yeah. But you're, but I'm not going to argue with you because it's obviously like an emotional reaction. It's not something I can be like logic it away. Yeah. You know, like, well, I mean, like I'm, I'm just thinking like just out of re, out of respect for the number of uh, just school violence you know, events that have happened in the past year, especially in Texas. Uh, I like, I'm, I'm sorry that it's, it's unacceptable. Well, I have a question for you, which is yeah. not like, I'm not saying, I think all your opinions are, it didn't bother me, but your opinion is valid here because I have to ask, did you ever watch Obi-Wan? And trust me, this is very related. I know what, what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it, so in Obi-Wan, like I got, I got the reaction you're talking about here. Here, I didn't mind it because it was very much, you know, school's not an obsession. Yeah. Uh, it's very cartoony what they're doing. Like they're doing Home Alone in the school. And most of the actual action set piece takes place outside the school where it's really more just like it's a generic city lot, you know? Yeah. So to me, it was like not really a problem for me, but I get the emotional reaction that you did. I'm not going to argue See, I was like, I'm so ready to fight you on this, but it's like, no, actually, this is a very valid response. Yeah, like that is like, that is literally like, my my one reason why this episode this episode is 
is well, the worst episode is yeah that's very but, fair like i'm i can't yeah. i can't argue against that emotional response like uh and to be i think in obi-wan obi-wan obviously it's more of a fantasy setting but in obi-wan it's way more like it's it's like the actual scenario which is why it really got me there like bothered um yeah Especially also with Obi-Wan, they literally put out those episodes like three or four days after the Texas incident happened. I was just like, what? Like, you couldn't like, like, I'm sorry, like, put, just push it back a few. I understand that, like, you have all your marketing schedules and stuff, but this is like a situation where the idea of watching this two days after this happened is insane. Um, yeah. I but, mean, I've not made it past the first episode of Obi-Wan because I was bored, but... It, it comes back later on in the show, too. So it's like... Gotcha. But... What I was going to say about the last episode with not really that element, um, but I wanted to talk just a little bit about because you had it listed, which is that I think, and this would be the best time to mention it because the big, not the big superhero movie news this week, which will be of last week at this time, is that Batgirl is being thrown out. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because the directors of the Batgirl movie, which has been completed essentially outside of some visual effects stuff, and some tightening up the edit, uh, directed the first and final episodes of Miss Marvel. And they're the ones who really brought this stylistic thing where, like, you know, we get that plan. The animation of the plan comes back in the final episode, remember? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, to me, it's like, I'm going to say it now. Uh, it'd be really funny. Uh, and this probably won't happen because it's such a big jump up from directing a couple of Miss Marvel episodes. But you know what? They did Bad Boys 3 and they did a Batgirl movie that is not allowed to be finished. It'd be really funny and I'd be happy for the directors if they got Avengers 6. Just saying, like, if Secret Wars really does not have a director yet. I think they do a much better job staging the action scenes in the final. I'm talking very specifically outside of it. where she, Like, it looks bad. I'm not going to say the beginning looks good. But the budget, it looks fine for the budget. It looks probably on par with some of the effects in Thor. <laughs> like, let me be very <laughs> real here. Like, it looks uh, probably on par with some of the effects in Thor. Uh, and I, they just did a background movie that we're not going to be able to see. And Marvel very clearly likes hiring directors for Avengers movies they already trust. Uh, and you know what? Their schedule just cleared up a lot. And they've got nothing they true. can do right now. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sure they'll get another gig. But like, Kevin, they did a really great job here with the action stuff. Um, and honestly, let's be real. That's probably why they couldn't have reshot. Because they were probably shooting Batgirl at the time they could reshoot this finale. So, but like, yeah. Also, what was I going to say? I want to say one last thing. Is that the scene where they reveal her costume is perfect. It just is. <laughs> her running, like running for the town. But okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really like that. Yeah. Um, yeah and then we get the nice little we get the button on the mom we get that's the thing too about the last episode is that it is the first 10 minutes of it to me were so rushed this is me just talking from an analytical point because it's like we're catching up with all these characters we haven't seen for two weeks and it's like it sucks that we have to rush through all these like nakia dealing with her uh kamala keeping her identity secret it's done so quick because we have to rush through it to get to the finale and it's because of the structure they chose to make but anyway miss marvel it's good. Tyler, you're completely valid to not like the finale for that reason. I'm sorry I said I was ready to fight you multiple weeks in a row for it. Uh, like, feel a, little, feel a little guilty about that myself, so I, I apologize. <laughs> well, I, I knew that you didn't know my reason 
for it. So yeah, I was just like, I'll like, I'll let Danny get it out now. Uh, <laughs> he did, he knows not what he's trying to fight me for. So, um, right. so yeah, so, now we're going to go for uh for listeners who have heard us way back to our early days uh from WandaVision. You re- you may remember that um between uh segments we would have our green room segment and Danny uh, what was it two two months ago we gave each other movies to watch yeah or, it was uh it was very beginning of it was three no it was three months ago it was three was Moon Knight ended on like Moon Knight ended on May fourth. I and forgot how Aug- much I hate it's that. It's August third, the day we are recording. Uh by the way, Joe Play the theme song one last Welcome time right now. We're back in the green room. It's time to talk about. Now we'll start talking again because I presume he will edit in right right there. And now we're gonna talk while the theme music is playing. Is that what we're doing? No, no, please don't, <laughs> don't edit it like that. Um, all right. So, couple after we finished midnight, it was our tradition that we'd give each other movies to watch. Um, it'd be funny if we just gave each other movies to watch. Now, like, yeah, I just want to get around to it. Make sure you catch this one. It's <laughs> yeah. just Marvel. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm gonna go first. Because you just watched your movie, so yeah, you'll be more fresh on it later. But Tyler gave me the documentary that he talked about this show on this show. Honestly, I could look up what episode you talked about it on, but it was quite oh, because we named the oh, that was the uh, that was the episode that our sound had that. Big, oh big yes, hiccup. it was when I had, saw Soul, and it yeah. was so. We were so upset that it like died, but we were so relieved that it died before I talked about Soul because we had been building up to that for yeah. the podcast began. Um, but yep. yeah, we lost like 50 minutes of the news discussion. And now we don't even do news discussion anymore. True. Um, um, which is fine. So it's fine. We haven't had Marvel I, news until Comic-Con. But anyway, what are you going to well, say? And I, I, do, I just remember that like when I talked about it, I alluded to things because... I I really wanted you to see this because you were like, I'm not watching something about Bigfoot. And I was just like, Danny. Like, but Danny. So uh so yeah, I'm I'm super interested in well uh, hearing to be what blunt, you gotta say. To be blunt, no one attended. You will probably have to make this more of a questionnaire on me because it's been about two or three weeks since I watched this now. So okay. but I can still give my general thoughts. I I wrote them down. Um, basically it was that, you know, it was an interesting story. I'm just not a fan of true crime docs. It's just not a genre I'm really into, but I can acknowledge this for being a good one for what it is. Even if it, to me, I'm like, eh, it was fine. Like, you know, it was fine, but most things like this are just bad to me. So me saying it's gotcha. fine is a compliment you get gotcha. like, yeah, um, I think the story is really I like the way it unfolds. I do think there is what I think this should be a hundred minute movie tops. It should not be a three hour long with commercial like a three episode long yeah. series. It should be just doc just documentary you, movie. That's, 
that's uh something because uh Felicia and I rewatched it um last weekend and we we were both like the second time through it's really interesting because you're people you're more people watching now yeah and you know because you you know like where it where it ends up going and uh you're just kind of like people watching and it's very interesting when like i don't know you can start to pick up on people on like uh when they're playing playing it up for the camera and then when they're when things are a lot more serious when there's a, a higher gravity to uh to what they're talking about yeah i would not be able to mention a specific moment of this but this does do a pet peeve i have with docs where the music is so overbearing at points it's like you you don't you aren't giving me a chance to actually analyze what these people are saying you're just Mm. giving me the emotional reaction you want to give me or you want me to have for the music that's playing and that's an issue i have a lot of true crime true crime docs gotcha um I think ultimately it being kind of a shaggy dog story I liked. I think that's amusing. I think if you if I was in your position and had to rewatch it, and it's just like, oh my gosh, we're going down all these tangents that do not matter and do not really enlighten anything other than like, oh, this is an interesting like side story would drive me crazy. But as for what it is, I think it's a very informative doc. I think releasing it on 420 is amusing. I saw that that was the release date. Yeah. yeah. Um but again, though, like if this was designed to be a binge format on 420, why wasn't it just a movie? Like, just cut it down. Like, because there's so much repeating of information here. There, there is. Um, uh, episode two is one that I think, like, I I uh, recognize that I was on my phone a lot uh, on episode two, and then I was kind of like, I I know where it's going. And I know what information I need to pay attention to. Although it's like it is like the uh, camp and uh, the operation. I forget what it's what it's called against the uh, the marijuana growers in California, in Northern California. That's a very that's that, that was like that that's was a good detour to take because I think that's a piece it, of history people don't know it about. Was, so. Yeah, because I was like, I had no idea, you know, no idea. I knew the war on drugs was terrible, obviously, but like I knew not like, like not like yeah, that, like not like it's that. Good, and it's yeah, it's it important was, to uh, show footage like that. I feel like definitely. Yeah, and and then I think I think my favorite part of of the of the doc is when they finally get a name of someone who is directly involved with the uh with the farm where he worked at in the 90s and he's like look we cannot play we cannot have anything of his name getting on this because i like this is this is deep oh and when the private investigator is like look i've got a family i'm out like you you're getting into some pretty deep stuff and uh for your safety watch out see i i agree that that's i like that moment but again it's just like i wish we just had the moment i don't think we need to dress it up with like dramatic music close up on him you know we can just have them i think it'd be more shocking if it's just framed like a normal scene you know mm. and he's like I, yeah i'm out i'm out i i, I like that i like the dramatic Mom- that's fair i mean that's there, fair but i think it's but, just yeah. a, a thing of taste it's like um i'll just say this really briefly 
My brother, uh, okay. So I've watched the two big long form ESPN docs, OJ Made in America and The Last Dance. OJ Made in America is a masterpiece. It is one of the best docs ever made. And you can't call it a documentary movie because it inexplicably has an Oscar because they played it as a six hour long movie at AMC in New York. So it could qualify. But you know what? It's that good. I don't mind it having an Oscar, even though it's a TV show. It's that good. But The Last Dance, I watched it with my family during the pandemic. And I remember as it ended, I was like, you know, that was a really fun show, but I think it was not a good documentary. My brother was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, I was really entertained throughout the whole thing. I learned a lot of stuff, but I don't think there was a point to it. Um, Because OJ Made in America is ultimately about like, obviously, if anything about the OJ Simpson story, it's about racism and about the court system and about the history of policing in America and about celebrity. Like, obviously, the OJ Simpson story always is going to tie into these and sexism, too, of course, with Marsha Clark. So the OJ Simpson story is always going to tie into these different things like that means something bigger. But the last dance is just like, this is Michael Jordan. This is how he played basketball. And it's cool because you're going through his whole whole career like in a very interesting way. It's entertaining, but it's not like you really learn anything. And that's how I kind of like, yes, I learned about a bit of the history of like cannabis. And I think that's an interesting history I wasn't expecting to learn from this. But ultimately, the point was, it was like, wow, yeah, people are racist and monsters. And it's like, okay. And like, I don't want to be like, like, obviously, yes, that's true. But like, there the ending of the doc, that's what just, that's what kind of was. The ending was like, it's like, I made this big profound revelation that it all came down to this simple thing. I'm like, yeah, like, it's not that profound. I like, I was expecting something bigger at the end, you know, like yeah. a bigger yeah. button, a bigger point to it all. And that's really where, to me, it's like, I was debating on Letterboxd 3 or 2.5. I went 2.5 because of that, personally. Um, I was glad I watched it though. I would have never watched it if you ever, never gave it to me. I yeah. did learn a lot. I do think it is ultimately an interesting story to watch and see play out. I just wish it was shorter. If, even if it was shorter and it didn't have a point, like the, the same thing I said where it didn't have a point, I'd probably still give it a three or even a three point five. It was yeah. Shorter. It's just it, too much repeating of information. It it does it, at the like at the end of episode three. It does feel like the uh, the documentaries that that are just kind of like. To this day, uh, the real culprit has not been found. Or like when when yeah. those happen, and I'm kind of like, okay, I you know, like that is uh, that that's a frustrating uh, point for me. But but yeah, I would I would say I I like this this documentary better than the uh, Beastie Boys one, and that one. Won awards. I, I still want to watch the Beastie Boys one because Beastie Boys one has a director I like. Yeah, it might have. I don't know. Um, I really don't know. I didn't know much about this existing until you said wrenched it way back when. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I I do think it's it's uh, worth at least one one watch. Yeah, like on that second watch, it's you do forget a lot of the uh, of the details. If, because it's really easy to binge. Um, if does Hulu have a speed up thing? Like if Hulu has a one point two five times speed, this is like I'd be like, yeah, watch this, but watch it on one point two five because really like these people talk yeah. slow at points too. Like, like I'll be real, they talk a little slow at points. We can speed it up a bit, get it done a little quicker. That's really like it's two. It's like um, I think it's like two hours and fifteen minutes total, and it should be like ninety to hundred minutes. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you think about the hope. use of animation? 
Yeah. I liked it, but it's kind of like Miss Marvel in the sense where it weirdly drops it for a lot of it. Yeah. It doesn't use it as much as you think. I think my favorite part of the doc, honestly, is that moment where we talk to the guy who filmed the Bigfoot thing and then the guy who says he was in the Bigfoot suit. Yeah. Just cuts back and forth. I enjoyed that. I thought that was good. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. But, and, and then the, uh, the wife, the wife talking where he's like, I've not talked to him. No, uh, like the wife of the guy who is in the big suit. And then, oh no, sorry, sorry. Yeah, go. Oh, but uh, but yeah, like uh, they're like the Bigfoot Gary. Like, I was gonna say Bigfoot Gary's a great yeah. sequence. Bigfoot Gary. That's like the most like tense part of the doc to me. It's like when his it wife is. calls him up. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 That that one is. Uh, I think I think he does. I think. It, the point of the doc is to solve what happened to those three people, and I think he gets to a very like solid conclusion um, for that. You know, obviously there's no straightforward evidence, but uh, there's a lot of uh, things pointing all and in this one direction. Um, and I think I think he does ultimately like get you know get us to that point. Um, it's just a very windy path. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, right. I think, yeah, I think that's all that I've got to ask. That's you all about I got. Uh, well, what I got to ask you about is I gave you the Coen brothers. In my opinion, I don't mean, I don't, I, I, maybe you didn't like it, but in my opinion, this is an underrated classic of there's like a top three Coen movie to me inside Lewin Davis, which I gave to you because it is Oscar Isaac's breakout performance. This is the movie that made Oscar Isaac be in heavy demand because I watched, I actually know a lot about it because I recently watched the, um, I watched the Criterion bonus features because I have it on Criterion. Yeah. Uh, one of them is a concert film, which is so cool. It's all the folk singers and Oscar Isaac, besides Justin Timberlake. They cannot get Justin Timberlake for this concert, which I get. He's a busy man, but it's like a, just a concert film of all the folk songs and it was so good. But everything they have is just like a general, like behind the scenes doc that's like 40 minutes and talk about how Oscar Isaac was like a miracle to them because it's like they're looking for an actor who can play the guitar and sing and do all this acting and they didn't know Oscar Isaac but then he comes in and auditions and like obviously can do it all. Yeah. Uh, so this is Oscar Isaac's first big role. But anyway, enough of me gushing about them even though I'm sure I'll find a way to gush about it while you talk about it too. But what did you think of Inside Lou and Davis? Um, I really liked it. I really liked it. It felt kind of like a, like a Chloe Zhao movie. In the sense that we're, I like, can see the comparison. We're following like everyday, everyday life, uh, you know, of uh, that like this is someone trying to, you know, Oscar Isaac's character, uh, trying to make it in the music business, and he's, uh, he's in a very small section of the of the music business, which just the comparisons, like this is set in 1961, uh. And he's doing folk music, which now I I don't know. There are so many folk, you know, folk uh, singers now. Um, but uh, like he he would get a lot more playability now than, of course, you know, at at that time, because uh, radio was controlled so much of so much of that. If you uh, if you ever have the chance to, I understand like criterions are expensive. But if you really like this movie, I do recommend the Criterion. The doc goes into exactly both the music production of it and 
who like the specific folk singer that Lewin Davis is inspired by and diving into the folk singing there. Because what I really liked about the doc is, is that it explains everything except for what the Coens think the movie's about. Like, it's yeah. like, here's how we made the sets. Here's how we did cinematography. Here's how we cast Oscar. Here's how we did the music. You want us to talk about the writing of the movie? No, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, and I really like, I enjoy that. I think the movie is cryptic in a way that I really like that there's a lot to get out of it. Yeah. But yeah, um, I get the Chloe Zhao comparison of it. What do you think of uh, this, the best Oscar Isaac performance you've seen? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say so. Uh, again, the same thing with like with Brie Larson and Captain Marvel, like Marvel Studios, figure out what to do with these good actors because like at least at least Oscar Isaac still is doing like unlike Brie Larson who's like entire like just always does Marvel now. It feels like at least Oscar Isaac he came out with a movie last year called The Card Counter that was really good. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you'd like it. It's very uh. It's kind of it's by Paul Schrader, who's the guy who wrote Taxi Driver. So it's a little. I was debating between giving you that and Inside Lewin Davis. The time Inside Lewin Davis was on streaming, not anymore. I know, but yeah. the time Inside Lewin Davis was on sc- streaming, and I also think Inside Lewin Davis is actually more palatable. I think Inside Lewin Davis is a better movie too. Uh, but Oscar Isaac is really good in the card count. I think. What do you think of the soundtrack? Because I feel like the I really love the was, soundtrack of this movie. was really good. Yeah, I don't really and, like folk music. And I also I like the way that they use the uh, soundtrack to like highlight uh, Lewin Davis's uh, like his better songs because I think that the deeper that we get uh, into his album, you know, the songs that he plays further into the movie. Like his better songs are played at the beginning and the end of of the movie, and that's yeah. because it's not a random story that he's telling, you know, or retelling. It's there are personal connections to those to those songs, and uh, that's the real strength of those songs. And um, it allow you know the artist is connected to their art, which then the audience can also connect has an easier time connecting to the art, you know, uh, through that performance um, from the artist. Yeah. I, I really like how they do that, especially for the song that he plays for Bud, Bud. I was going to mention that scene. Yeah. Cause uh, that song, Murray Abraham's character, it's a moonlight, yeah. moonlight prequel, moonlight, not moonlight. <laughs> 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 Rise of my favorite um, letterbox movie for moonlight, which is just, Moon Knight, there's been a mistake. You guys won Best Picture. Anyway, yeah. go on. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, he decides to play this this song that, quite frankly, was mediocre to me, and and then Bud's like, I mean, just straight honest, you know, with them, it's just like, yeah, yeah. I think the song I is mediocre, but I think I think Oscar Isaac is so constantly soulful in this movie. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think his performance is good. He's the musicality is there. He, the he hits the notes and he's got the the variations there. He can play around in the in the uh, in the scales, and I like that's good. But I think like he at one point he asks, "What is different from me? Or what's different for me from?" this other singer and it really really is like this this just genuine 
I think he treat he treats the folk music as like just straight storytelling, as like we're gonna sit around the campfire and I'm retelling a story, you know, a, a tall tale, um, which has its its life, but uh, not as big as you know relating to your audience and and sharing that that uh, connection that we all have that you know we all share which is like you know with human human life i i want to ask just a couple questions about specific scenes i'm literally just going to mention a scene i want your take on it okay Okay. so first off not really a scene but john goodman's role what do you think of john goodman's role in this that's so big compared to everything else in the movie but i think to me it works because the driver is not adam driver we're gonna talk about adam driver don't worry right but the driver in that scene is so like not like acknowledging it and then Oscar Isaac's obviously both like Lewin's so like both bewildered by it that also does not want to engage with it at all. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. so what do you think of John Goodman's role I think that's a very weird role compared to everyone else in this movie. Great, great performance again from John Goodman. Yeah. It, it, just the stuff that he does, the older that he gets, the the roles that John Goodman plays in, like they're just getting better, they're just better and better. I I really like the uh, scene where John Goodman's sitting in the back seat and Oscar Isaac is dr- is driving and he says, "How far do you think that cane, you know, would go? Like, there, yeah. would, would go, and, and would it, would some of it still stick out? And like, just the the level of okay. So in a scene, you know, we we've talked about this before that like." conflict drives drives uh the plot and when you're in a scene your top beat is like you're either ending the scene right after that top beat or you're building up to a even bigger you know next beat and this scene you know we get this big beat from this this uh thing that oscar isaac's been quiet listening to john goodman just ramble on about all this just crap just nonsense and uh and then he you know he finally says this and it's like oh good he's so, you know he stood up for himself and uh you know how's how's goodman's character gonna react to this and then goodman's character just takes it up a whole other notch that i didn't think was there and uh yeah i love love that that car scene uh that yeah. car scene there and i will say the stuff with John Goodman in it right there at the end where uh Isaac uh Oscar Isaac leaves the car and I shouldn't be laughing at that. It's so uh, dark, but the cat patting the seat and he's like like the cat's like, get back in and don't leave me. And then the cat yeah, and then Oscar Isaac just uh he makes a decision that I did didn't agree with don't agree with and uh yeah i think the cat's gonna be fine that's all i said i think the cat is going to be okay i think john goodman won't be but i think people obviously will check cars on the side of the road so i think the cat will be okay like yeah it's a car on the side of the road like and the cops know where that car is so the cat will be okay it was just it was just such a sad moment i was like i was like well i think the but, yeah. uh, this will just be a really quick question and then I have two other scenes I wanted to ask you about don't worry I'll be quick 
Did this see, this movie remind you at all atmosphere wise of Can You Forgive Me? Because that really stood out to me when I was watch, rewatching it. Like it, it's a movie that feels like cold New York. And when it goes to Chicago, it still feels cold. You know, like the tones of the movie are so cold. Yeah. 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 Now that you point that out. It's a movie that's so atmospheric. Yeah. Um, all right. Two other scenes. Don't worry. I'll go through these quickly. One of the other scenes is this scene always sticks out to me as one that I always think about days later. Like literally, I watched it a few weeks ago and we started talking. Like I looked at, oh, every time I inside Louis, I immediately saw the scene is the one where he goes to his friends who are teacher, like professors. Mm-hmm. And they ask him to play a song at it. And he correctly is like, I'm not, a, this isn't a parlor trick. They're like, no, just do it. Yeah. And then he, like, I think it's really tempting, especially when I first saw us like a couple of years ago, to me be like, Lou and you asshole. Like, how dare you, like, like, because I'm talking very specifically when she sings along, he like freaks out and says, don't do that. I'm not, how dare you, like, do that. And, you know, first time you watch that, at least for me, I was like, whoa, overreaction. But I'm like, no. Like, I don't want to be like, she should know better because she's still an older woman who, like, probably thought this would be okay. But it's, and also the first time you watch it, I don't think you really realize that, you know, I don't think at that point it's been revealed to commit suicide, his old partner. Uh, I think it's just still kind of vague if they broke up or anything. Yeah. Um. So, but it's like, she should know better. Uh, I don't know. I want to talk about a scene. Uh, not, not, I don't yeah. want it to be like a should she know better or should she know? I just want to know what you think about that scene overall. Oh, it's like to me one I of the thought, saddest scenes in the movie, and it's yeah, a good I, sad. It's a good sad. I thought it was. I, I I thought it was a really good scene, and I I do think that his uh, reaction was totally warranted. I mean, it's still kind of karma for bringing back the wrong cat. I love it. A little bit of karma. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. But yeah, like. We've all been in those situations uh, where, like, we've reacted bigger, you know, bigger than what we what we wanted to, and then we kind of sit in the moment and reflect, and it's like, okay, I could have approached that differently. But also, like, I can totally understand that, like, what he's what they see as oh let's have some fun you know you you play some of your songs he sees as them uh illegitimizing his profession you know yeah. and and like i i totally totally get that it's uh yeah it's it's like uh someone asking a uh, movie editor uh you know for his for a studio like hey you know how to use final cut pro uh can you edit my my wedding and my three hour long wedding edit that into a video for me and my wife and i want it to look professional and you know and and not expecting anything you know yeah like, like that it can be my wedding gift that. it can be my wedding like, gift for me it's exactly like, no yeah. that's not how and it it's works like, no that's not yeah exactly it's it's not just something that you could just just throw together and yeah. uh yeah and it's it's also and a lot of, yeah a lot of people don't realize like it's it's uh it's inconsiderate too you know yeah that like that's that his voice is also his instrument yeah he's got his guitar but his voice is also his instrument he's got to rest it uh yeah. every once in a while like it's supposed yeah. to be just a night to like relax and it's like no play for us dude exactly you can't really say and no because they they're, they offered him a free they, couch but, they like, but yeah you gotta play for they, it yeah like a yeah. three bed sorry a free couch yeah 
Well, yeah, and then it's also in front of uh, strangers, these people yeah. that he's you know never met, and and he's singing a very personal song to him, like that was connected exactly. to his old partner. Uh, what I was gonna also say, uh, last question. It'll be really quick. Although I am just curious, very quickly. This is my last question. Just curious because we never brought it up. Have you seen the Ever Cohen's movies? I'm just curious. Or is this like your first Cohen movie? Um, did they direct uh, a brother where art thou? Yes, I forgot we talked about that yeah. on this podcast before. Yeah. Yes, I've, yeah, they've I've done seen a, yeah. that, and I'm sure that I've seen one or two of their other. Have you seen Fargo? Fargo's the big one. I've not. No, or No Country for Old Men. I haven't uh, seen No Country for Old Men. I've not seen No Country for Old Men. No. Well, the Coens are great. That's all I almost mentioned earlier. Was that like when you talked about how good like where to end a scene? The Coens are masters yeah. at that. They are total masters at that. Oh, and you never watched the Denzel Macbeth thing, but obviously that's not going to be their writing. Uh, but, <laughs> um, oh, okay. I, uh, I, I've, I've also seen uh, the Bill Murray uh, films, Garfield and Garfield: The Tale. Of oh, Tennessee. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two kitties written yeah, by Eden but, Cohen. Yes, yes. Um, anyway, all right. <laughs> my la- my last question, which is very quick, and then we can end because I know we've been go- I've been going longer than you did on Sasquatch, but Who's agree Squatch? or disagree. You disagree, please, Mr. Kennedy. Ah, oh, snub for best original song. It should have won, right? Like, amazing yeah. song. Yeah. <laughs> like, such yeah. a catchy song. Who, who wrote this? <laughs> I did. Uh, Timberlake's Timberlake's <laughs> reaction in that moment is so good. Like, I did. Yeah, quintessential so Adam good. Driver performance as one of his. Like again, one of his first roles. Quintessential Adam Driver performance. Only in this movie for five minutes. One of the most memorable performances in it. Yeah. I, I literally texted <laughs> Danny earlier. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, what is Adam Driver? That's the scene I was, I was watching. I'm like, I love, Like, what is I this? Love, I don't know if it's production design and cinematography, but I love the shot of both him and Oscar Isaac stuck in the ridiculously tiny hallway. Yes. <laughs> Because they're both huge. They're both just huge people. It's like yeah. they're trying to just get in. It's, uh, all right. That was the final green room. Joe, play us out. All right. Feel the thunder. Feel the thunder. Love and thunder. That's right. It's time to talk about. See, it's almost as if we're just immediately starting off. So I'm doing a new intro. Um, <laughs> time to talk about Thor, Love and Thunder, Taika Waititi's newest film and the newest MCU film. So, uh, <laughs> so here's the, here's the funny. Well, okay, before we get into it, because you have your general thoughts here. We'll get into them, but remember how we said that we we're going to save Thor as our last episode because we were both really looking forward to it. Having that in mind, Tyler, what yeah. were your general thoughts on this movie? <laughs> this did not meet my expect- expectations. Um, and it's a perfect case study of coaching from a desk, per se. Uh, Ragnarok and Jojo Rabbit are perfect examples of studios allowing creators the full flexibility to create. Uh, Love and Thunder was restricted by a set runtime as determined by Marvel Studios 
And although Taika does make it functional, it is visibly lacking at points. It, it, it feels a lot like an outline. A lot of meat still missing to this. They are also not very positive. <laughs> uh, I will put it this way. There are two films this summer that starred Taika Waititi that I gave a 3 out of 5 on Letterboxd to, but then wrote a very negative review despite a 3 out of 5 being like, you know, objectively speaking, that is a positive grade. Because you know what? The first time I saw this, I felt emotional. At th- I saw this twice. felt emotional at the end. A couple of jokes really worked for me. And, you know, I thought it was an interesting, messy movie. Then I rewatched it. And I was like, more of this doesn't work than does. <laughs> more of uh, I certainly think there's stuff here I like. I think um, I, have a, I have a pitch I want to do to make the movie better. But I, I'll save that for one of my... Uh, MVP my my awards because I know exactly where it will fit in. But I think ultimately the problem with this movie, this is how I would sum it up, is that everyone in the movie, besides Thor and Korg, feel ridiculously underused. Um, there are too many characters in this movie. I feel like Natalie Portman feels underused. I feel like Valkyrie feels underused. I feel like I feel like Russell Crowe, okay, he's not in the movie a lot, but even when he is, he feels underused. You know what I mean? I feel every single aspect of this movie. It's not touched on enough. Yeah. And it's trying to have it all. And what instead we have is this air quotes arc with Thor, which isn't really that interesting because he has love and lost. That's literally what just happened to him in the last two Avengers movies. So, and honestly, uh, yeah, because with Loki, like it already happened with Loki. And also Bale is underused. I think Christian Bale's underused. Um, but yeah, I think Thor love and thunder. Here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing about expectations, okay? You can expect nothing and be given something average and walk away pretty, like, that was okay. I would never recommend anyone, but it was okay. Or... be Carnage. I'm referring actually to a different movie, which is what I'm, I'm, I'm getting to it. Don't worry. Oh, okay. Or you can expect a lot and be given something incredibly average and walk away just incredibly disappointed. This is to say that I believe Thor Love and Thunder is in fact the worst of the five films released in Phase 4 so far. Uh, below Black Widow. I think Black Widow is a tighter film than this is. I yeah, think this I'm is more ambitious to... stuff, but I think so Black what, Widow what as an those, overall package is better. What would those Well, I was actually going to ask. Black Widow, Shang-Chi. Let's rank them. Let's rank them. It'd be fun. We can rank them. Let's okay. Rank them. I'll write them in the doc so you can see all of them in order. Yeah. Just the movies. We're not going to bother ranking the shows. I think we all... Yeah, Good, we don't need to rank the shows because we've only had two shows this year. Most of the shows should be movies anyways. So, yeah, I'm quite honestly, I'm done with the their, shows. Uh, their shows. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm what we'll talk about that thing. I, I think we're going to talk about the future of Marvel just a little bit. Um, we'll talk about what shows we might watch. And whatnot. Are we going to count Venom as a phase movie? Because uh, Venom, it does show up in Spider-Man. It is set up for No Way Home. But is yeah, Venom 2 a... Ahead. Yeah, right, we'll throw Venom ahead, in there. Throw, let there so Venom, Doctor Strange, Doctor Doctor, and Thor. So okay. I've listed the movies in the doc. They are Black Widow, Shang-Chi, The Legend of the Ten Rings, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Eternal, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Thor. I am not going to rank Venom. Because the thing to me is, would I enjoy watching Let There Be Carnage more than Thor, Love, and Thunder again? Yes. 
I think still Thor is a more accomplished film. I think it is still a better made film than <laughs> Let There Be Carnage. But looking at these, I'd rank them from best to worst. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Spider-Man No Way Home, Let's Go Eternals, <laughs> Black Widow, and then Thor Love and Thunder. That would be the I'd order go, I'd go from best to worst. Doctor Strange, Eternal, no, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Eternals, Shang-Chi, Venom, Thor 4, Black Widow. And Thor 4, because I've seen Black Widow twice, and Thor 4 I've only seen once, so I'm going to give it a shot to possibly redeem itself. I've seen them both twice, and I think Black Widow works still better overall as a film. Gotcha. Uh, what I, I do want to say one thing, very important, and then we'll talk about Thor, trust me. But, Tyler, I don't know if you realize this, but you just retracted one of your most infamous statements on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, we, we gotta call yeah. it out. We gotta make sure those I know. <laughs> infamously in our 2021 review episode, Tyler said first we ranked all the Spider-Man movies. He said Spider-Man No Way Home was the best Spider-Man movie, and then later on he said the best movie of this year from the MCU was Eternals, not Spider-Man No Way Home. Ergo, I pointed out that he declared that Eternals was better than every single Spider-Man movie ever made, and he got really annoyed by that. So Tyler has come around on that. He still likes Eternals, but. It is no longer better than every Spider-Man movie ever made. Yeah. My, okay, so I'm holding, I'm holding out for Eternals. So you know how, like, in Daredevil, well, in the Daredevil comics, you know, there's the, the group called The Hand. And yeah. I'm like, what if we have this big flipping celestial sticking out of the, the ocean? What if The Hand is a group formed after a group of people who worship like worship this celestial oh wait there's a head sticking out there's not a hand never mind never mind this whole i was like what are they called the hand because they worship this hand from the celestial yeah no never mind oh okay it's okay it's a horrible oh yeah all right Kevin Feige, don't Thor. We gotta, talk about, we gotta talk about Thor, Love, and Thunder. Do we have to? I guess we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, do we just want to go straight to the score and post-credits, and then we'll do our MV? Because there's, I do think there's a lot to talk about with the movie within our awards, so we can go through yeah. the other oh, two quickly. Well, let's, uh, real quick, um, on the on my general general thoughts, I talked about how Love and Thunder was restricted by a set runtime. Uh, oh, let's just kind of respond to that. Over that. Well, no, like we don't have to re- necessarily respond respond to it, but I want okay. to clarify like what the decision and was at Marvel Studios. So, listeners, I, can I just I, can I say what the it. source was before you yeah, declare it? Because the yeah, source sure. was a because it's very important to say that this is not a confirmed thing, but the source is a writer from The Ringer who did not feel comfortable enough to write an article on it, but did feel comfortable enough to mention it on a podcast. Ergo, we're going to, like, you know, like, we'll, we'll, The Ringer's a pretty respected publication. We will take this as gospel. <laughs> I, I don't remember the name of this, this writer, but I do remember reading it right after Thor Love and Thunder came out. And it was about Thor Love and Thunder and Doctor Strange 2. We think Doctor Strange 2 is great. Obviously, we don't have an issue with Doctor yeah. Strange's 2 runtime. <laughs> well, and, uh, and uh, Raimi even talked about how he said there, there's like he said there's probably 45 minutes worth of footage that we cut because it it wasn't needed for the, you know for the film 
and Raimi. She was so well paced. So it, good it is. It's so well paced. And like, do I think a little more could have been added to it? Yeah, po- you know, possibly. But like it, it's. I've seen Spider-Man 2 and I've seen Spider-Man 2.1. I've seen Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 2.1. Spider-Man 2 is better. So. <laughs> anyway. uh, so, so, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, go ahead. Like, so you explain. Yeah, Raimi, Raimi's, Raimi, you know, made it work. And plus, like, that's kind of Raimi's thing. Like, we look at, like, the Evil Dead uh, uh, films and, and whatnot. Like, he makes these very staple, like, two hour not too long not too short films work and you know he makes that runtime uh work and uh the what the what the uh hearsay is uh is that the uh runtime after eternals was deemed as uh too long for a majority of well i don't want to say a majority but for a portion of the marvel audience um that they that basically marvel studios is like hey we're suffocating our audience with the content so we need to be putting out this shorter content which i can understand to the extent of that but also like you're you're telling people you're you just told taika Waititi tell a story but you have to do it within a certain amount of time. And it's it's like uh, if you tell me to write a paper on, uh, I don't know, on how a vehicle engine works, but I can only write it in a paragraph. Like, you've got to do a lot more explaining, I, you know, and I, you, you hurt your story when when that stuff happens. And I think that's what happened here with Love and well, Thunder. I, I want to respond just in a small way, not too much, because I do want to move on. But yeah. I think we can both two things can be true. I think we can say we could have got a better movie if this um, runtime uh, mandate that we believe is true. Um, I keep saying if we believe it's true, because again, this is not verified. We need to say yes. very, very clear on that it's yeah. not verified. But Definitely. if this mandate, runtime mandate is true, we can imagine that Thor Love and Thunder would have been a better movie without it. However, two things can be true. That can be true. And what else can be true is the runner longer runtime movie probably still would have been nowhere near as good as Thor Ragnarok. Because a lot of the issues in this movie are so baked into the characterization and the writing. Yeah. Uh, I think some of these tonal shifts would work better. I think some of the... Pay- Another issue with this movie I didn't mention is they first... Probably up until they get to Omnipotent City, it is so like dot 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 dot. We gotta go right to the next scene. We gotta get right. We gotta set this up. We gotta go quick. Gotta go quick. Gotta go quick to the point where we don't even see Jane become Thor. Like that is how quick we are moving for these plot points until we get mm-hmm. to probably an hour into the movie where we can finally not even slow down, just finally reach a level of pacing that is normal. You know what I mean? Like that is what it, it's yeah. not even that we're going slow. It's that we are now going the proper pace. This this thing about like. I'm I'm not saying that this movie would be better. Uh, well, I mean, I did like this movie. <laughs> I, I think that the the story requires a little more time. I'm not saying give me a three hour movie, you know, but maybe 10, 15 minutes more to just flesh wait. out certain, you know, certain points. I think this story 
needs that time. Um, my thing yes. is, if you're afraid of drowning your audience in content and smothering them in content, stop putting out mediocre Disney Plus shows. Yep. Just that's, again, that's Moon, Knight, my thing. Moon Knight should have been a movie. Miss Marvel. Exactly. It's actually funny because our Miss Marvel point is not that it, we, our Miss Marvel point is that it's too short. Miss Marvel could have been four episodes longer, probably would have been better. You know, like that. Yeah. You know, what I mean? like like that is like, yeah, yeah. Stop. You stop trying to. It's the same issue as this. It could be longer. Miss Marvel could be longer, but Moon Knight should have been way shorter. Or it shouldn't have happened. Hawkeye should have been a movie. Yeah. All yep. this anyway. Um, she Hulk should probably never happen from the look of it. I'm I'm I being uh, the second trailer uh, kind of turned me around on it. I will yeah. wait for reviews once the show is done because now that I, we won't have a podcast anymore, I have no actual obligation to watch any of these, <laughs> and I will wait till they're done to hear how they are because all of these seem to start with three good up, two or three good episodes, and they fall apart. I would have probably still liked Miss Marvel. I would still have checked it out, but like Moon Knight, I would have known not to check it out. You know, <laughs> like yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of my point with it is like if you're afraid that you're putting too much like I think there's over 49 hours worth of content for fate like phase four now or something like that. It's it's a crazy amount of time and uh, like to expect your audience to sit down and to have watched all these Disney Plus shows like quite honestly. The Disney Plus shows are they're taxing. I I don't want to engage, you know, with with them. And like I love watching the movies. That's okay. That's what, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, we will. I don't want to get too much into this because I know I, I know we'll, at the end we will wrap up everything, which means yeah. we will have to somewhat acknowledge the Comic Con announcements, just because we're looking at both. Like, although this podcast doesn't have a future, Marvel does. You know, like Marvel will continue. Um, okay, that's what's just so dark. This podcast is not of a future, but you know what I mean. Like we, yeah. we will be not covering definitely everything, definitely not everything. Um, who knows when we will do another episode? But anyway, sorry, I just like. Ugh. But <laughs> the fact that again, to, to make my point, I'm removing 2020 from the equation because one wouldn't be great, but two, no Marvel stuff came out. It took us from, and we're gonna also remove 2009 from this this thing because there were no Marvel movies in 2009. Took 10 years to get from Iron Man to Endgame. And now we are apparently getting from the phase four through phase six in the span of 2021 to 2025. That is, that's five years. That's half the time. And we're apparently going through the same amount of story in half the time. And that's insane. Yeah. That's, that's overload. But Thor, Love, and Thunder, we have to actually talk about it. Yeah. The score, score's garbage. Not nothing memorable about it. Yeah, and are, are we fair to the, just say that and move the score, on? Score. <laughs> I think. Well, I think like the only aspect is when they like, the only uh, salvageable point. Salvageable point is when they uh, do a variation of the Ragnarok theme. Barely noticeable. I I didn't even notice until you said it. <laughs> yeah, like I'm like, oh hey, that's cool. But I noticed it when I was sitting through the credits. That's that's not good. <laughs> Like I guess this yeah. gets me again. We've said this before on this podcast, but it gets me so mad that and I'm, I'm actually going to talk really mad about this. That Michael Giacchino was asked onto this because Mark Moversberg did a good job in Thor Ragnarok. 
everyone pointed out the full Ragnarok score this time. I was like, huh, that one was different. I like that one. He did a great job. He still fits the tone of this movie because it's Taika's tone that's in all of his stuff. And initially I thought, oh, maybe like uh, he just doesn't want to do a movie score. I'm currently watching Our Flag Means Death, and he's done all the score for that. And that is a pirate show that has a lot of music. If he can do a 10-episode show, he can do Thor, Love, and Thunder. Why was Michael Cicino asked to be here other than Taika being like, well, you did uh, Jojo Rabbit for me, and the Jojo Rabbit score is good. You did Jojo Rabbit for me, and this is going to be more emotional, so I want to have someone who's more experienced with taking out the emotion. Fine, whatever, I get it. You should have still got Mark Marvazur back. I'm sure he would have impressed us. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. It's just so mad. It, it's so infuriating to me because, of course, Michael Giacchino was going to phone this in. Like, he is time and time again phoned in projects because he's working on something bigger at this time. The Batman. Like, yeah, yeah. It also uh, it also the score, like if if you want to count the uh, the rock songs that they incorporate, because the way that they use them, I'm like, yeah, you kind of count it or whatever uh the the they use the big three of guns and roses you know the big three uh welcome to the jungle paradise city and uh sweet child of mine but like they the first one the first one that they played for guns and roses just i was like this just feels like hey we need a rock song here no, we'll yeah. throw this out and i'm like i read such a good point where someone point Someone said, I don't know who, but someone said, every moment a rock song plays in Thor, Love, and Thunder, it's like we're trying to do the immigrant song from the first movie, and not once does it even hit on half the level that did. Not once. Right. Um, I do think there are two good needle drops in this. I like the ABBA that they play during the Jane flashback, which is probably one of the best things in the movie. Like, the, yeah. the thing, like, here's how they broke up. I like that. Yeah. I like that the movie opens with Enya. I think that's really funny that the movie, like when it goes to Thor, I think it's really funny that we open with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, the Guns N' Roses does not work. Um, yeah, Guns. But, I I do think like you know how ACDC kind of became like Tony Stark's thing. I think Led Zeppelin's got a lot more to go with with Thor than uh, just. I don't know. This just felt like they picked up a greatest rock hits of the seventies and eighties uh, album. Yeah, very from, much so. from a thrift store, and they were like, "Hey, here's a good song." Yeah, um, just for just so they could use "Sweet Child of Mine" at the very end, which and in the marketing, all of yeah, the marketing. That's, that's true. That's true. Can I can I start on the postcard scene? Because I definitely yeah. have one. That may be very positive one. Yeah. I'd have to look up when the last time I liked two of them was, but this is the first Marvel movie, in, at least in Phase 4. It's the most positive thing I'd say about this. Both post-credit scenes were great. I thought this had two fantastic post-credit scenes that like, are honestly like some of the highlights of the movie, which is... I always hate when I say that, like, oh, the highlight was the post-credit scene, because that really is like... Like, I said that for Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I like Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it's, like, the postcard scene's the best part. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, in this case, it's very, like, first we get, well, we'll talk about the second one later, the first, because the second one isn't really setting up anything. We get this nice little coda with Heimdall walking Jame into uh, Valhalla. I think it's nice. It's nice to get Idris back just for that. It's oh, sweet. I, th- I think that uh, they they can go places with that. 
Oh, they can, they yeah, can, but in the moment, some places they can go with it. But in the moment, Tyler, it does work as a nice little code of the movie, giving is, Idris one yeah. more time to shine, uh, and saying like, "Thank you for saving my son." That has never come up in these other movies that I was even married, uh, <laughs> or right. I had a kid uh, who would have been around for a while because Asgard's are like immortal. But whatever. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but. And I do think there is a. I did read someone point this out, and I I, get, I like that's not there. I think this movie has an issue of undercutting the drama with jokes. But someone did say, imagine if this post credit scene ended with like a camera panning over to Loki, Prime Loki, welcoming Janin, and then waving with Sif's upper arm. Because remember how Thor makes that really funny joke that maybe your arm yeah. made it to Valhalla. I think Loki waving with Sif's a disembodied arm would have been so like I've been like, all right, you got me there, maybe. Congrats. Um, but the other post credit scene, which got me really like I I started clapping. I was so excited. Is that Hercules is going to be whenever we come back to Thor is going to be involved. But more yeah. importantly, he's played by Brett Goldstein from Ted Lasso. Oh, he's here, he's there, he's every effing way. It's Roy Kent! Roy Kent! I was so excited, but also the fact that they used Roy Kent to be like the big crowd pleasing cameo is so hilarious to me. Also, hey, you don't watch this Apple TV Plus show? You're, you're lost. You're not going right? to understand why this is a big deal. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's really cool. Um, like with introducing Hercules um, into like into this was a really good post credits and uh, introducing Hercules into it like uh Spoilers for the comics, but Hercules and Thor at first start fighting, but then it's inch it is uh revealed that Hercules is under the control of Enchantress, who is has been a character that a lot of people have been uh like speculating on like showing up at some point. In the MCU, kind of, have, kind of have Sylvia, who's very similar too. Yeah, well, that and um, Hella, Hella was, was Hella. also yeah, very right. similar. So I, I think you can do Enchantress, you know, in there. I think that we need more female villains. We definitely need more female villains in the MCU, but it can't be a retread of Hella or you know a variation of Sylvie. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I like, I think that's really cool. The, uh, the implications there of, uh, of what's going on and, uh, yeah, yeah. I just think that bringing in Hercules into it is going to be really cool. I read a really good point. Also, I, I keep saying these points that I read because this movie came out like a month ago. Um, but like someone pointed out to me that like this movie in the last five minutes and the post credit scene sets up immediately a much more interesting Thor five. Cause you bring in Hercules with, I'm just sorry. Like I, I know you haven't watched Ted Lasso, but Brett Goldstein under Tycho direction would be incredible. Like there's no way that oh, wouldn't be good. Yeah. Even in this thing, like he is such a funny guy. Yeah. And don't the idea get me wrong. of him bouncing off yeah. Thor would be so good. Just literally just, just write him as Roy Kent. Like, it, it would be comedic gold. Uh, don't get me wrong. I want Thor 5 directed by Taika, but he's got to have he's got to have his runtime given to him. 
for what you know whatever like runtime. He's gotta he have he's gotta have his runtime and he's gotta have um he's gotta have time to make it in a exactly setting. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah. Um, um I do want to point out that I don't think we're gonna talk about him at all. Nope, we're not. Uh cool. nope. Nope, we are gonna talk about it. So yeah, let's uh let's continue. Yeah, so let's go to, let's our, go to MVPs. our MVPs. Yeah, MVP. Um, so Danny, you wanna start? All right. Well, first, my runner-up is because we gotta mention at some point on this episode. No, I already did, but we got got to get the acknowledgement that Russell Crowe shows up in this movie for about seven minutes, does a very weird performance <laughs> that is just so like, what is going on? <laughs> Immediately like outshines everyone else in screen presence in those seven minutes just because of his bizarre dialect <laughs> and it's it's great it's really it's it's a good uh it's a good little it's he gets the whiff credit but it's a cameo but it's it's a fun cameo yeah. i i can't be like it's he's having so much fun here it's it's great it's really fun um much better than bringing uh just a quick side note um because it doesn't mention on here at all uh in our outline but I always tell kids at work when I tell them a funny joke and they ask me to tell it again, I go like, no, uh, sequels are never good as the original. And the reason I say that is, is, you know, Matt Damon, we love Matt Damon and Thor Ragnarok, but we did not need to bring him back for two separate scenes here. Uh, and also that one with Hella, that scene goes on way too long. It's funny. Come on, let's speed it up. Speed it up. Come on. Again, it's like this movie chooses to slow down at the worst time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we saw Daryl. Yeah, I did. I did like Daryl. Yeah. Daryl showing up. As a, I welcome that cameo. Daryl. Daryl being canon. Yeah. Okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> like I. I told. Uh, I told Felicia. I was like, Daryl was in this one, and she was like, Who? And so then we had oh. to watch the Team Thor. Well, the and Team Thor show. Team Daryl's. Yeah. Team Thor is a. Uh, all three of those are better than this movie. But okay, <laughs> the actual MVP of this movie, which I feel like is a pretty, I know you don't agree. I know you have a different actor listed, but it's pretty consensus with most people is Christian Bale. Christian Bale in this movie is just like everyone else is just doing their wacky Thor thing. And Christian Bale is like both giving like such a great dramatic performance like against everything which is so weird it's just it's really bizarre honestly that christian bale is like going full method for this movie and then chris sounds just like oh yeah a, come over here buddy i don't i didn't mean to make you feel bad good good gag i like that running gag it's a good running gag but like it's just like christian bale's literally like he's he's like he thinks it's the most serious thing ever but then we also get some glorious hammy bits where it's like hey kids you want to hear a story and it's like oh okay you're doing like you're like, you know, a couple, 10 years ago, like, uh, no, 12 years ago, I did, like, The Dark Knight, and I, I love Heath Ledger. I love the, the Joker. I just wanted to do, like, a very over-the-top version of that. And you know what? I liked it. And he's really good in this. He sells all the emotional bits, and he gets to go really hammy. Very memorable performance. Um, I also want to shout out, because we don't have it listed, and I, want, I mentioned to you before, I want to talk about this very briefly. The Shadow Realm scene, which is the one part of this movie that looks visually interesting. Everything else looks terribly COVID shot, but the Shadow Realm stuff looks good. Um, especially because I noticed weirdly, like the animation on the monsters in that scene are like more stop motion-ish. Like the frame rate on it's weird. And I like yeah. that. Um, 
But what I want to point out here and specifically is that someone, someone said this to me and I was like, oh man, you know, when someone gives you an idea and you're like, that's perfect. Um, you know how there's the running gag of Jane trying to figure out a good catchphrase? And yeah. at the very beginning, the one she pitches is like, let's bring the rainbow. How could we not get payoff to that in the shadow realm of her bringing color to like a scene? Oh, come on. Come on. Yeah. Tyco. Very yeah, missed true. opportunity there for a good callback. That would have been badass. Yeah. All uh, right. But who's your MVP? Yeah. So I did debate on uh, on putting Christian Bale down as my MVP because um, it's yeah, just it's superb acting. Um, but for me in this one, it was Natalie Portman uh, because for the first time in the entire MCU history, I've actually cared about Jane Foster. I like before, I don't know it, her character was very one dimensional and this, this, uh, this outing for this character actually like she had stakes and she, she had, you know, her own personal like reasons for various various things and we actually built a character up rather than it's like oh well you're the love interest come along in here into this scene and also uh every once in a while you need to throw in dialogue that helps our protagonists get to get through you know get to the next point in the plot i know i know that's like that's like that is like vaguely just like summarizing improperly summarizing her character but i think love and thunder does for everything it doesn't do it actually gives her an a character arc throughout this this episode or episode throughout this i'm looking at our next uh, thing movie yeah, you just you just offer me such a good tangent, but you know what? I'm gonna hold it till the end when we're talking about addressing recent announcements, and also just giving our final goodbyes. What I want to say about Natalie Portman is there's one moment, like it's one of her first lines in this movie, where Mila was like, "Okay, so she is gonna get to be somewhat funny, even though her funny is way drier than everyone else in this movie, which is fine. Like it's good to have different styles of humor, but I laugh so hard at the beginning where she's like talking to that other student that's fired by doing chemo." She's like, let me explain what how wormholes work. She's like, have you seen Event Horizon? No. And then, like, have you seen Interstellar? And he goes, no. And then her response is, don't worry, that movie's super easy to understand. <laughs> it's just like an amazingly like just dry delivery where you know the joke is like everyone, a lot of people did not get that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, that's a good joke. That's a great joke. Um, I think Natalie Portman's very good in this. I think again, I go back to that thing where I feel like she's honestly underused. Which would bring me on to my favorite scene. Because, well, first I'll tell you my favorite scene. And that's the scene where Jane and Valkyrie discuss Jane's diagnosis. Right before they're about to set off on their journey. And we get the scene with just the two of them talking about, like, are you going to tell Thor? No, why would I? Like, like, isn't this hurting you? But, like, you know, it's just like a basic scene where they're talking to each other. Uh, it kind of ends with a little cringy joke with the Bluetooth speaker. But up until that point, I like it. I think they have a lot of chemistry together, just the two of them. And I'll be honest. And also, here's the thing about that scene is it is no secret that I believe that the actor with the most charisma in the MCO, I've heard, well, maybe Paul Rudd. Maybe Paul Rudd gets it. But 
beyond Paul Rudd, it is Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie, who constantly, despite never really getting a big role, is so good in these movies. Maybe she's not that great in this, and we'll get into that. We will get into that. But she has so much just natural charisma here. And I'm trying to think of very specifically. No, it sets up like a character arc for her that the movie doesn't fall through if at all. But this is like the one scene she gets in the movie to be like, this is what I'm going through. And also, here's what Jane's going through. And we're just going to talk to it about it like friends. And now, Tyler, this is the part of the show where Danny does his final. I'm going to try to pitch an alternate MCU. So James Gunn was fired from Guardians of the Galaxy 3 initially. In my alternate universe, he remains fired for Bix. He's like, no, I want to do Suicide Squad and another DC movie at the same time. And Marvel's still going to wait for them. In this world, we get a movie about Thor, the mighty Thor. And we get an Ask Guardians of the Galaxy movie. The Ask Guardians of the Galaxy movie is whatever. I don't care what's about. Just um, Zoe Saldana's not in it because we got to keep her resolution for for five. It's I don't know who directs it. I don't care who directs it. I really don't. Just figure that out. Someone else. That's where Thor is. We get that. We also get a mighty Thor movie that's basically this exact movie but without Chris Hemsworth. Because I think the worst part of this movie is the opposite of Ragnarok. Ragnarok, the best part of Thor Ragnarok is Chris Hemsworth. Here, he is constantly the worst part of this movie. Besides someone else, who I'll get into later. It's in my notes already, the other person. I think if we focus this movie on Mighty Thor and Valkyrie building a friendship and, like, really helping, like, like really just... And then we do gore. You know, Gore's raging against God. She's raging against, like, how did I get the cancer? Like, there's a very clear, like, connection there. You know, like, how yeah. could you give this to me? We just do that here, and that's the movie. Like, you know, that's... And maybe the movie ends with Thor getting... Like, Chris Hemsworth Thor getting in danger from Gore, and Jane saving him. And then that leads right into the Thor movie that ends with Jane dying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because yeah. then Valkyrie can actually have a full arc in this movie. Jane can have a full arc without dying at the end of this movie. And then when Thor and Jane re-meet, we just spent a whole movie with both of them in their new normals. That's basically my whole pitch. All right, we can move on. Okay. I just wanted to put that on the uh, record because I think that would be a good way to give these characters what they deserve. Because I yeah. don't think the movie gives them enough time and I don't think just making the movie longer fixes that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. What's yours? Sorry. <laughs> oh. Favorite uh, scene. My favorite scene is it's more of a moment. Um, and it's it's when a in the final battle, a kid uses a stuffed rabbit to defeat Gore's minions, the shadow monsters. It's a great moment. It's just it is one of those moments. It reminded me a lot of Jojo Rabbit, like something from Jojo Rabbit, just full Taika Waititi. Just uh, you know, these uh just just obliteration of expectations here of like, oh, there's a kid with a a stuffed rabbit, what's gonna happen? And then the, the stuffed rabbit has laser beams coming out of the eyes. It's 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 yeah, I laughed. I laughed so much. Um I, I, I enjoy the, the sequence too, and I see a lot of yeah. people who don't like it and I don't get it. I think it's funny. Well, it's good I and it's a good payoff. I, I think at the beginning, I, I like when Thor is like when he's talking and he's like, whoever uh, touches this. That's what I mean. That's good. Can uh, temporarily, you know, 
uh, for yeah. a limited time. You know, I love the the little bit of stuff there and like have the powers of Thor. And then there's a brief moment in that scene where I don't like it, where it's the kids going crazy and just kind of uh, just attacking, um, you know, every, everyone uh, or all these uh, shadow monsters. Yeah, they're yeah. they're attacking all these shadow monsters, and I'm I was kind of like uh, the brutality of those kids attacking the monsters. I'm like, okay, I don't know why, but I'm like, I'm not okay with this. And then, then Taika spun some of his you know comedic touch on it with the the laser beam out of the rabbit's eyes, and I was like, okay, this is funny. And then I think the rest of that scene, it felt a lot like a video game. Like the boss level. A lot of the movie game. feels like that. Well, the, yeah, the visuals are not good. That's true. It felt. <laughs> I, I know. Like I get what you're saying, though. I... Um, but but yeah, and I I I was like, okay, this is this is cool. This is yeah. It was just a cool little moment that I that I enjoyed, and that's that's about about it. There's not much uh, more to it. Okay, that's fair. It's a good. I like that moment too. Um, worst scene. I'm gonna go quicker now. Don't worry. I know you. I know we're gonna wrap it up. Worst scene is um, it's in it's more of a moment really, but it's an omnipotent city. Uh, they're fighting and Zeus lightning bolts Korg, and it looks like Korg died for a second. We actually get the emotional beat of them thinking he's dead, and it actually works. And then nope, he's still alive, and he's still gonna be annoying in this entire movie because the. The one person in this movie who is more exposed than Chris Hemsworth is Korg, who is in every single scene, it seems like, and making a unfunny joke after essentially everything that happens. Yeah. I think about very specifically the scene where the Guardians are all in a room, and somehow we can't give like half the Guardians a single line, but yet Korg can just talk through the entire scene about ghosts. <laughs> yeah, but the entire movie's like that, and it's yeah. very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I... I would have been totally cool with uh, Korg, like when he got zapped by Zeus. Like, okay, yeah, like he's he's done. I don't know. I I felt the emotional tug there, you know. And then then they did something that uh, a lot of the like the first two seasons of, especially the first season of Agents of Shield, where they mm. set up this great big dramatic reveal or like in the first episode of uh agents of shield season one they're like oh hey we've got colson he's back and then it's like this great big moment he steps out of the shadows and it's like oh whoa what happened here you know what's he doing back because to this point the mcu hadn't brought anyone back from death and then all of a sudden you know here he is and it's like whoa what implications is that gonna have and then he ruins it by saying, sorry, I really like sitting in the in the shadows. I thought it would be really cool, you know, for an entrance. And uh, it just it just kind of yeah, it deflates the the tension, the drama that was uh, drawn up there. And that's yeah. Yeah, I agree with you that Korg Korg should have been done. What what was your worst? What was uh your worst scene? For me, it was Thor and the Guardians for the first fifteen minutes of the film. It just felt really like super rushed. Uh, it felt like this 
was supposed to be maybe like 30 minutes of stuff. And then the studio was like, hey, Taika, you got to cut this down. You got to cut your runtime down. And this is, of course, he's going to touch the Guardians because they're yeah. not his characters. And of like... course, this is, you know, this is like where it, it just it felt like a really sloppy fan edit at the beginning of the film. And I was like. Right off the bat, my first impression of Thor Love and Thunder, and I'm like, yeah, this is I don't think this is going to be the outing that I was hoping it was going to be. And it just it really sets a dismal tone for the film which is crazy compared to the hilarious stuff that we got between Thor and the Guardians in Infinity War and the uh you know the apparent chemistry that is there but we can't get past in-game Thor antics at the beginning of this movie of the of the uh just him being aloof and just Everything's about me and blah, and I'm kind of like, but he had this great big arc and Taika, like you're the one who took him through that arc where it's like, it's not about Thor. It's, it, you know, it's about Asgard. It's about this idea. It's about the people. It's about, you know, where he learns this lesson and we kind of, I don't know it. I mean, it's also kind of a bash on his arc in, in game. But it just really the the first fifteen minutes of the film just felt like they weren't handled very well. I I agree one hundred percent. I'm not even gonna add anything, but I do want to say there's one quote that I have to read from Karen Gillan in the press for this movie because the fact that Karen Gillan hyped up this movie is so funny to me because it's like you literally screamed. That was your only line was screaming, like like. She's like Taika brought out my bonker side. I think everyone's just so funny and bonkers and wild. The everyone she's referring to is the Guardians in this movie. Wow! Like what? Like what? So our next thing is best surprise. I'm going to cheat a little. I'll keep it quick because I actually really went into this on my review on Letterboxd. I already said my best surprise when we talked about the post credit scene, which was Brett Goldstein. Uh, so I want to set say a award we used to retire, which was biggest disappointment, which is very clear to me that Valkyrie's role in this movie is such a crushing disappointment. Do you remember, Tyler, what the very first thing they announced about Thor 4 was? It was before they announced the title. It was it, before they announced it was Natalie Portman's bet. Valkyrie has to find her queen. Yup. That is not in this film. Valkyrie nope. does not have a plot in this film. We are presented with the idea that she wants to go die and go to Valhalla, but do you know what happens once she almost dies? Thor saves her, and she's like, okay, I guess I'll sit out the rest of the movie. It's like, what? Her character is terrible in this. Tessa Thompson's still doing great with what she gets, but she gets absolutely nothing here. She, it is so infuriating to me that this movie underuses Valkyrie the way it does. Because she was the best new part of Ragnarok. Yeah. And everyone wanted more of her. And we were literally promised more of her. She is third build in the movie, which is way higher than she was built in Ragnarok. So where was she? Like, she should have had, like, a Loki-sized role. Yeah. Because, obviously, Jane's still going to play the Jane role that Jane would have had in the first two. So, yeah, that's... Basically, I, I'm yeah. this gets this is the thing that makes me most mad about the movie. 
what the heck? Like, why is Valkyrie barely have anything to do with this movie? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. She should have had a bigger part. For me, the best surprise was Mjolnir yeah, surprise. splitting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it was Mjolnir splitting into shooting fragments and then reassembling. Um, I really liked that. It was a cool way looked to have really a cool. fresh... Yeah, it looked really cool. It was a cool way to have a fresh take on a on an old uh, relic. And yeah, yeah, I just think that yeah. it, it was it was something uh, really cool to have. What are you most excited to see more of? I am really looking forward to finally seeing the Guardians back under the James Gunn writing. And I say this not only because of this movie, because I don't think I, I, I was talking to a friend this weekend about how I love the Guardians, even in Infinity War and Endgame. I think they're fine. But I always think about that moment in Endgame where Rocket says to Thor, suck it up and be a man, basically. And the movie doesn't call him out for it. And that is not what James Gunn does with those characters. James Gunn would have Rocket realize he's being ridiculous. And then obviously this movie doesn't really write any of the Guardians besides Star-Lord, who exists only to be like, hey, maybe you should get a girlfriend <laughs> to, yeah. to Thor. So, you know, we might have seen the Guardians a lot recently, but I'm looking forward to finally seeing them back with the actual soul behind the characters. Yes, yeah. James Gunn's writing has never been... like. I really only like his writing when it's with the Guardians. And I guess Scooby-Doo. But really more with the Guardians. And uh, I am excited both to see the holiday special and Guardians 3. Yes. Yes, me too. I'm most excited to see more of Love and the Young Avengers. Most specifically is that now they've got Love, who I assume is an original character. If she's going to be in the Young Avengers, then she i would think that she would take the place of the uh as guardian slash wiccan character that we have in the og young avengers lineup in the comics which is interesting because wiccan is one is uh tommy or billy i don't remember which one but uh you know he's one of wanda max mob's twins so that's just that's just really interesting. It's like, is our first iteration of the Young Avengers not going to have those twin, you know, Wanda's twins just yet? Which I'd be I'd be okay with if we have like an older, slightly older Young Avengers, although love seems to be maybe nine, maybe. Well, love is played. Love, I, so, I'm just curious what they'll do with love. Because 10. love is played by Hemsworth's daughter. So I wonder if she'll even really wants to stick around for something that her dad's not going to be involved in. That's so true. I hope so, yeah. but also like, I don't think Chris Hemsworth should be like, no, you have to do this, you know, because yeah. you're not a good dad. So I don't think he'll do that. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just more interested in seeing, you know, again, what, what are they going to do with, with young Avengers here? Well, that is Thor love and thunder. And that is our podcast period. But before we go, we do have some final well, first, final farewells to Marvel and then final farewells to you guys. But we have to acknowledge that we just were told what the next three phases of Marvel were. And I want to ask Tyler offhand, and I will list the movie. I'll just say the movie and you'll say yes or no. And we'll say if we want to see it. I will also say the Disney Plus shows that are not animated for phase five. So Black Panther Wakanda Forever, I think we're both going to see. Yeah. Because that trailer was really good. So good. Okay. 
Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania kicks off Phase 5. Yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Secret Invasion is the first Disney Plus show. I actually am looking forward to that, but I'll binge it probably, I feel like. I won't watch it weekly. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be a binge binge yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, then Guardians 3. Obvious, yes. Obviously. Echo, this is one I think I could skip, but I don't know if you're going to skip. I, I like probably won't skip. because uh, D'Onofrio and Cox are back, and I'm a big yeah. fan of the Netflix Daredevil series. That's very fair. And I liked Echo from Hawkeye. So, and then Loki season two, obviously. Yeah, yeah. The Marvels. Uh, I would yep. say initially was not on board, but now with Miss Marvel, I am. Really yeah, honestly, Miss Marvel was good enough. I want to see her. It seems like Brie Larson's given a lot more room to. Uh, actually yeah, even a little quick. She's get. good at. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot more character. Yeah, Blade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Herschel yeah. Ali. Ah, it's, it's yeah. All right, Ironheart. I feel like I can't give an answer on Ironheart till I see yeah. Black Panther too. Exactly, I can't give an yeah. answer yet. I have to see her first. Yep. Um, this is a very easy pass unless we. I'm just being very blunt. The next one I'm about to say is a pass unless I hear something about it not being about this character. But Agatha, Coven of Chaos. I, Honestly, like her, I don't need a full six episode show. I, <laughs> I don't want to see it. Yeah. I maybe get one episode, whichever one Ralph Boner is going to be in. But yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so this next one is uh, not listed. There is a February movie that has not been announced, but I think we can all assume will be Deadpool 3. Is that po- like there literally yeah. was a news story today about Ryan Reynolds starting to bulk up for Deadpool. Yep. So I want to pretty easy that. to assume this one's, yeah, pretty easy to assume this one's Deadpool. And I'm pretty yep. excited for that one. Uh, Daredevil, Born Again. I will skip this one. I know you're gonna kill me skipping it. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will watch this. But dang it, Kevin Feige, Blu-ray, Blu-ray release. It is a lot. I'm hoping that they can bring back the team that did, you know, seasons uh, one and two. Three was okay. Daredevil. I will. I will say, yeah. I'm just gonna be upfront about the next two movies. I'm gonna say. My answer for them is I need to know more about them. Because to be very blunt, this is what I was going to say earlier. And sorry, this is not a rant. This is just something I wanted to say earlier about Thor, but I think it fits more here. Is that I remember when I was getting the trailers for Thor Love and Thunder, and I had this thought when I saw Top Gun Maverick and I got this trailer. And it was like, you know, I should be way more excited this, for this than I am because it's Taika Waititi back. But it really just looks like another episode of the Marvel show. And that's what I was thinking when you said it's an early favorite episode. Like what least favorite episode is yeah. that I feel like Marvel overall started to start feeling like this show where I don't really want to watch everything because it makes it less of an event. And with that in mind, these next two are ones that really depends on I don't know enough about them to say yes. Right now I'd say no. And that's Captain America, New World Order, and Thunderbolts. Thunderbolts I, it depends on the roster to me. It really it depends on the roster. Yeah. For me. Yeah, I think that uh Thunderbolts can get shaky with the roster i think you definitely need um the charisma of uh daniel brule and uh i think you need a, a counter to him which would be uh u.s agent i can't think of the actor's name oh white russell i think that you definitely yeah. need those two to set up a you know a, an inner conflict in the team i think you definitely need them but there are just there are so many just like ex like existing minor villains in the MCU that are very underwhelming. 
I will say this. If Justin Hammer's on the team, definitely I'll see. I, I, there's no question. Like, literally, I will see it just to see what Justin Hammer has been up to. You're <laughs> gonna, the thing is, like, it, you're going to need a team that's going to be charismatic. Like, that's going to make it charisma. interesting. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah. you were saying no because of that. No, okay, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that, like, you can't just, it can't just be another team up of, uh, you know, superpowered people coming together to uh to fight a fight for a common cause like you've got to have the charisma there and uh i think that's the charisma of harley quinn and uh various other characters in the suicide squad is what made it parts of that successful you know yeah and then uh, you didn't you didn't really mention Captain America. Oh, yeah, Captain no. America! I'm interested in seeing where they're gonna go with that. I've not done much research research to know what you know comics mm. they're basing it off of, but <laughs> they had, there's no 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 information out there, so don't worry about yeah. it. There literally is no information out there. And I'm really hoping it's not it's not Hydra spinning up. And then again. just but. really quick, I, we we won't do these all, but it's Phase Six. Uh, is fantastic for yep. a movie that's not announced, Avengers: The Kang Dynasty, which interestingly enough is going to be directed by Daniel Dustin Credin, the guy who did Shang Chi, yeah. um, and then another untitled Marvel movie, and then Avengers: Secret Wars. Yep. So obviously, I feel like we are obligated to see these Avengers movies. I'm going to see all, see all of them. Yeah. I will see Fantastic Four as long as John Krasinski is not our Mister Fantastic. That's true. He's our Mr. Fantastic. I'm not even going to bother giving it a shot. I'll probably see it either but. way. But I did think, uh, or no, I saw something on uh, YouTube. It was a YouTube short that said, what if uh, Marvel has already set up Kang? So you know that Kang comes from the future, right? Like, yeah. what if Marvel already set up? No, that's an old one. That's an old one. Yeah, never mind. That doesn't work okay. out. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Um, there are some noticeable things missing here, obviously. There is no Mutant Project. There is no Shang-Chi 2, which is very concerning if Dustin Daniel Credit is doing... Uh, I said Daniel Dustin Credit and Dustin Daniel Credit on this episode, so I know I got it right once. Uh, it's Dustin. Dustin Daniel Dustin, Credit. Or Dustin first. All right. Uh, it is a bit concerning to me that Shang-Chi 2 is not on the schedule while Dustin Daniel Curtin is directing an Avengers movie, but who knows what will fill in here. But I think we are good to wrap this up. We'd like to thank Joe for editing this episode. We'd like to thank all of our editors you, in the Joe. past for editing all of our episodes. Thank you, past editors. Um, so that's Rashab and uh, Zach, mostly, mostly. But we'd also like to thank every guest we've ever had on here. Yes. We're not going to list them all because you know what? Uh, we did that in our 2021 episode, but we will list the ones from this year, which were Jay Salahi, Zach, Zachary Wright. I don't know why I butchered. I forgot your last name earlier and I forgot now, but Zachary, we'd like to thank you for coming on for Dr. Strange. Uh, we'd like to thank Tori for coming on too. I believe those were our three main guests we've had this year. Yep. I don't think we had anyone else. Oh, and also um, Sarah Kanoff for our Sam Raimi episode. And we will both say our goodbyes. I'm going to go first because... I'll be honest, Tyler, I have other podcasts, so listeners will not lose me <laughs> as much as they're going to lose you. Uh, we are going to have, Tyler, we're, we really want to have you on. Uh, my other Pixar, my podcast, Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, 
Tyler will 100% come on for that at some point whenever we can make... Well, I want you to come on for an Incredibles movie because we just talked about superheroes for hey, so long. Hey, speaking of Pixar <laughs> and Marvel, what do you think about... Isn't Bao or is it... Oh, that was a fun... Yeah. I, 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 is, did, I enjoyed that reference. I was does, like, that, oh, does, that mean, does that mean the Pixar universe is... Because uh, I have a theory that all Pixar movies are in the same universe. So is, okay, okay, we won't get into that right now. But no, I, I, but I always is, hear that theory from is, people. Is, but how does Soul universe. and Coco work together? How can Soul and Coco work? There are they different afterlives. To. They just work. Okay. 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 <laughs> they just work. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you can check me out on my other two podcasts: Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar Journey. And the Snub Club, if you want to keep listening to me. Uh, and, you know, you can always find my letterbox at Blank Mints. And, yeah, it's been great doing this podcast. I'm really glad this was my first podcast. And, again, I feel like at some point, I'm not, I'm not promising anything. It could very well be when Avengers Secret Wars comes out. I feel like at some point, Tyler and I will text each other like, hey, do you want to hop on Discord and record an hour episode about this Marvel movie? So I'm sure this is not... I'm sure at some point we will return to this, but it could be in five or six years from now. Who even knows? Uh, it could be our own five-year gap. <laughs> we could be yeah. being dusted right now. Who knows? Yeah. But I'm really glad, Tyler, I did this first podcast with you. Um, I'm glad. Despite, like, you know, there were times where, you know, like, we, like, even this, like, trying to coordinate when we we're going to record this. But it always was a joy to record with you. Uh, you're one of my best friends. and it's. Just, you know, it's been nice talking to you for these last couple of years. I guess year and a half, but you know how to be. Yeah. Pandemic time's still weird. So it is. It is. But yeah, that's it. That's me. So, t- Tyler, you can uh, say goodbye and then we'll do our outro one last time. Okay. Uh, yeah. Like, Danny, you, you put it put it together really, really well. Uh, this was my my first podcast um, as well. I do not have any other, you know, podcast uh, uh, spinning up um, right now. Life is very, 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 very hectic for me. Um, I'm in a. I don't. I don't know if I've really shared this on the on the podcast, but uh, I'm in a master's program right now. That's uh, I've turned it from three years into a year and a half uh, getting done, and it's. Pretty much during this whole time, yeah, I, I started school up not too long after we started doing the podcast. So it's it's been juggling all of that together. And now uh, it's I'm in this master's program so I can teach uh, English at, at the like middle school and high school ages. And uh, I'm super excited for, you know, for that. But uh, I'm getting really close to my student teaching. And uh, it's. I I know I know I had told Danny like things are gonna get hectic once we get into like summer and fall 2022, and mm-hmm. we were like you know we'll we'll keep we'll keep going forward with this uh, because this was such a passion project for us both and uh, had been in the works since like what 2018 probably at least yeah definitely yeah. I definitely remember uh, leaving in talking about infinity war and saying this would be a good podcast yeah so. yeah and uh and so so yeah it was it was really cool to see it you know as like bring that together and i'm thankful to meet like all of the the people that i 
that I met along this way and also got to see quite a few films that like Inside Lewin Davis and Can You Ever Forgive Me? Those are films of uh, The Big Sick. Those are films that I just happen to like pass right over and I wouldn't have wouldn't have seen them, uh, you know, without Danny's uh, recommendation. And uh, yeah, if I may add something before yeah. you wrap. Cause I do want you to have I do want you to have the last word. But I also think on that note, I think one of the best things we ever did this podcast, despite ending on the Morbius. Oh, well, we did end on the Morbius one. But I do think the director episodes we did where you got to see Jojo Rabbit, where we got to watch yes. um, Evil Dead 2 for me. I had never seen Evil Dead 2. Oh, I had never seen it either. And yeah, yeah and now it's I'm like, like oh, we, we got to cool. see so many, we got to watch so many great like classics or modern classics that you wouldn't think you'd get to watch on a Marvel pack or do our Spider-Man run, which are Marvel movies, but like watching all Spider-Man, eh, a lot of great moments it, in this it, podcast. It history. did make, <laughs> it made the watching the Spider-Man films made No Way Home just so much more rewarding because yes. yeah i i can't explain it. it 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 was it was pretty awesome and if you if you listeners you know like watch those films along with us as we were going through that journey then you you know you'd be able to relate too yeah i i will say that watching as much as i could not stand like watching the uh the bootleg the infamous bootleg of that was a great episode turn off the dark it was we made great content (laughs) it was it was such a good episode um and i do wish that future cinematographer well in all their endeavors (laughs) um uh uh, just just keep them legal but uh but uh but yeah if if you are like, hey, uh, where's that creep, uh, that crisp, like creep? <laughs> where's that uh, crisp bass voice from uh, Why Is With Ty and Dan? What's he up to now? Uh, you can find me on uh, YouTube on CC Farms. I'm playing Farming Simulator. It's a lot more interesting than uh, than just farming um of course like if you love if you like farming and that's your thing then like yeah i'm there however i assume that if you're listening to this marvel podcast and you made it all the way this far into it uh you that may not be (laughs) may not be your type of thing but uh but i i do more uh role play and a lot more of uh for example uh possible sasquatch sightings with with this current topical uh, yeah topical <laughs> exactly uh with with the current playthrough uh, series that i'm doing right now i've not posted a video in like 87 days i think is what youtube studio said because like i said life life got crazy um and uh yeah started up a full-time job along with it so it just i'm really glad that i did even though like time is uh is very precious you know now is very like uh sparing um i am really glad that i did when i did have the time you know take this opportunity to to do this uh do this podcast with you danny and uh you know just be it yeah be able to geek out i think one of my favorite memories is when the speculation after uh, the was the episode six when we got the uh, first appearance of Ralph Boner, Quicksilver. Uh, it's a, I believe it's episode five. five. And I remember yeah, we put out a we put out a three hour twenty we, minute episode we over thirty minutes of content. 
<laughs> yeah, we speculated so much, and I just remember that that was a ton of fun. You know, yeah. just being able to just like speculate and on this that. podcast has metamorphosized so much over the course of a year and a half. And you know, there's sometimes where I'm like, how do we do three hour episodes on one division? And then it's like, you know, we're trying to watch three episodes of two episodes of Moonlight Time to find anything to talk about. A good lot of good memories here, and you know, we'll always have the archive up to revisit our memories. If you want to, co- if the listeners want to revisit, and you know, I I know for a fact. Tyler and I, like, this might be the last episode of Why Is, but I know, Tyler, I know you're going to come on my other show at some point, so I'm I'm very looking forward to that and being able oh, to talk yeah. to you about that. Whenever that is. I don't even know where that is. So. I got to figure out some type of controversy, some type of spin to put on whatever film I want to talk about. Just to, <laughs> yeah, because I know that uh, that'd be an interesting conversation with you and Mark. Well, and I, you come and up, I yeah, you, I like talking with uh, you and Mark anyways, so. Yeah. Although I will, uh, this is a uh, exclusive reveal, and then we will finally. Well, uh, this isn't gonna be the last thing we say because the last thing we say can't be an ad from our podcast. That would be so gross. But uh, when you said that, I want to exclusively announce here that eventually our uh, our podcast, our my Pixar podcast, will be covering another theater bootleg. <laughs> That's all. Is that we found a theater bootleg for something else? <laughs> so, but yeah, this was a great show. Why is, of course, not the theater bootleg. Uh, why is it time, Dan? It was a uh, really fun thing to always do with you. Every Thursday was great. And even the summer was like, can we do it this week? Can we do this this week? It's still, I'm so glad we got to record this one, you know? Yeah. Instead of just like, yeah, just throwing it out. We, we, got, we got this out. <laughs> yeah, I definitely didn't want to just drop off the face of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it was just like, so Jojo Rabbit was really good, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, we, we did it. We did it. And now, we can thank Joe Schrimmer one last time for editing this. Thank you, Joe. Tyler, take us out with the outro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why Is with Ty and Dan. We can be found on various podcasting platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and at redcircle.com. We're somewhere on there. Just type in Why Is with Ty and Dan. We'll, I believe in you. You'll figure it out. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode and every episode if you've made it through every episode of this show. You did it! Congrats! <laughs> I just wanted to say that. You can also contact us by email at whyiswithtyandan at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at whyiswithtyan1 because we are number one. Not me. We are number one. You know, you can follow me on Letterboxd at Blankments for reviews of movies, including that's not in the MCU. But you know what? This time we're just going to end it with, you can follow us anywhere. You know, we, we were just so happy to have you here for all these episodes. 